Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Tuesday Night Jaw. It's another Q&A episode for a couple of reasons. Reason number one, sorry there was no podcast last week. I was a bit busy doing wrestling stuff. It was pretty cool. Um, So I've had a good week, but it meant I had no time to actually be able to do a podcast. I tried to convince Finlay to do a podcast with me, but he turned me down. Um, I didn't try and convince him too much. He's a scary bloke. So anyway, I am back. Tuesday Night Jaw on the Distraction Pieces Network. Check out everything on the network. Please, please, please. Um, And there's a Q&A episode this week. And then next week is a welcome return to a round table because it's Survivor Series and TakeOver. So we're going to get together on Monday morning, very bleary-eyed, uh, and discuss it. Myself, probably Scroobius Pip, filming permitting, and a couple of guests in the ACAST studios in London. So that'll be out uh, next Tuesday will be our round table discussion of Survivor Series and TakeOver. I've been so busy this year, it's been very difficult for me to do round tables. I think the last... So the last one we did in a studio was probably WrestleMania, because I've only been to the new ACAS studios, the ones. So, um, so yeah, so there will be a roundtable next week. Huzzah. Um, a lot of you have been enjoying the last two episodes that I put out, the Tuesday Night Jaw Meets episodes, uh, where I spoke to Mark Dallas. And do, if you are free this Sunday and you can get to Glasgow, do go and see ICW's show at the Hydro. Um, and also the chat with Zach Gibson. Um, I get one tweet a day from people saying, please call the Progress Show... Uh, we make room for battle table. It'll probably happen, if I'm honest. So here we are. I'm sat in my kitchen. I ask people to email me questions. I've got 80 questions. I'm going to endeavour to answer them all. I've asked people to not give me questions that involve me coming up with lists because I tend to answer these questions by reading them. I don't tend to pre-prepare. I'd rather give you honest answers. So I tend to read them from the email box as I'm going through. Um, uh, so sometimes I might have to pause to think and all that jazz. Before we get into the questions and answers, some plugs. Um, first plug, jimsmormon.com slash TNJ. There is merch on there. 
there is a list of all the podcast episodes we've done so far. This is where you should go if you want to buy the merch or if you want to point new listeners to this little podcast. I would be grateful if you did that. jimsmorman.com slash TNJ. And obviously, wherever you're listening to this podcast, be it through iTunes, be it through the ACAST website, be it through any form of podcast app whatsoever, do please, you know, maybe give it a five-star review. Maybe subscribe to it so you get it every week. It's out most weeks. I have the odd week off. Um, Because that's really cool and really, really helps me out. Uh, And if you want to buy one of my last few T-shirts before they're all sold, then that would be really cool as well. Um, I don't have a stand-up show to sell anymore because I've stopped selling it. Um, I have some stand-up shows coming up, including if you look at my pinned tweet at the top of my Twitter account, at Jim Smallman, you will see uh, there is a pinned tweet for my stand-up show that I'm doing, which is called I'm Sorry I Love You, A History of Professional Wrestling, that I'm doing for the first time hopefully not the only time, during the Leicester Comedy Festival. If you know anything about me, you can probably read between the lines and maybe think what this might be signifying in the future, me doing this show. But don't think too hard about it. You shouldn't need to. So um, do come to that if you can. That is on uh, Sunday, February the 19th, 18th, 19th. Jim has to look at his own Twitter feed to find out. Let's have a look. I think it's it's probably the 18th. It's Sunday, 18th of February, 5 o'clock in Leicester. Um, it's in a venue called Firebug where I did my, uh, my last sort of tryout uh, of an hour of new material. This, for various other reasons, I will have done a lot of writing about this subject by that point. Again, read into that what you so choose. Um, and I'm hoping this show is going to be great. So it's all about wrestling. I get asked to do shows about wrestling. I've always said no. This is the first time I'm actually doing a full hour-long show about wrestling, about the history of professional wrestling with some jokes in it. 130-odd years of professional wrestling history condensed into one hour of a tattooed man talking about stuff. It's a fiver because it's the first time I'm doing the show. It's not going to be 100% complete. Um, The venue holds 120 people. There are 20 tickets left. So... Go to my Twitter feed, at Jim Smallman. There's a link at the very top, um, I, my pinned tweet. Um, click on that, get tickets, come see me in Leicester, Sunday, February the 18th. In between progress shows as well, because there's one on February the 11th and one on February the 25th. Um, so um, do please come along if you can, because I'd really like some Tuesday night your listeners there to make it a nice environment for me to do that show for the first time. Finally, Progress Wrestling. ProgressWrestling.com for tickets and merch. There's not a lot of tickets you can buy at the minute. At the end of this month, you will be able to buy tickets for our Super Strong Style Weekend, which is at the beginning of May in 2018 at Alexandra Palace. You'll be able to buy tickets for that. You can still, obviously, buy tickets for our Wembley Arena show on Sunday, September the 30th, 2018. We've sold a lot of tickets, a surprisingly large amount of tickets. I would really, really like us to sell more, obviously, because I'd like it if the Lone Shark Man didn't take my thumbs. So um, that's not true. We're doing fine. But please come to that. We really are going to pull out all the stops and try and make that the greatest thing we've ever done. Um, So if you can come to that, you know someone who might be interested in it, come to it. We'd be dead grateful. Uh, And demand-progress.com for all of our shows on our on-demand service, plus loads of stuff from other companies and cool things, um, like documentaries and stuff like that. Demand-progress.com for all of our shows. We had a show in Manchester this past weekend. It was tremendous fun. Arguably the best show we've ever done in Manchester. And I like all of our Manchester shows. Crowd were well up for it. Really, really, really good fun show. Um, That'll be on on on-demand probably by the end of the week. So uh, get... uh, get that in your life if you can and if you're listening to this late Tuesday night early Wednesday morning um, Progress has a live at the Dome show at the Boston Arms Dome 
Is that right? Have I got that right? It's the Dome in Tufnell Park either way. Um, the venue's called the Dome. The pub that is above is called the Boston Arms. Um, that's uh, this Wednesday night. Uh, I'm not going to be there because I'm working in Milton Keynes. Um, but if you get a chance to go along, we're not filming it. It's just a show where there's loads of cool wrestling on. So go along to that if you want some cheap weeknight grapplification. I don't think, I don't think grapplification's a word. I apologise. Right, let's do this q and I asked people to email me questions. I politely asked people to try and ask me questions I've not answered before. Out of respect of anyone who's decided to take the time to ask me a question, and I've got a lot to get through, I'll try and answer everything. If I get asked the same question twice during the course of the podcast, uh, I'll say I've answered it before. If I've answered it in a previous Q&A podcast, I'll probably answer it again. I just might not go into a load of detail, or maybe my outlook's changed on certain things since then. Who knows? So, let us go. Jim's November Q&A. <clears throat> Question one. Charlie Ranger. Good name. Um, ever have any dream jobs other than being involved in wrestling slash comedy? To give you the order of my dream jobs, Charlie. Um, dream job number one uh, was to be singer in a punk band. Never done that. I briefly had a go at it at university. It was rotten. Um, didn't have any confidence. Now I have the confidence, do not have the singing ability. So that was ambition number one. Ambition number two was to work behind the scenes in wrestling. I didn't care what it was. I've never wanted to be a wrestler. I've always wanted to be involved in the creative side of it. So that was ambition number two, which happened maybe when I was probably 20, 21 years old, when I got back into wrestling. Um, ambition number three, always loved stand-up comedy. I never wanted to be a stand-up comedian. Um, ambition number three was to be a writer. I did English at university. That's what I wanted to do. I specialized in creative writing. I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to write books and, and stories and be a journalist and any form of writing that I could possibly do. That's what I wanted to do. Um, I, I kind of do it now. It's part of my Twitter bio because I have been paid to write for magazines and newspapers and stuff. And I've written for radio and for TV. But um, that was a big, that was a big ambition of mine. And then at about 27, I'd started doing comedy. I didn't know I wanted to be a comedian until the first time I stood on stage. And then I realized I did. Um, so that's been the rough order. There's been nothing else. I'd like to act. And that's only come around in the last couple of years because I've done a lot of voiceover in adverts. And I'd like to act because I do genuinely enjoy films. So I'd love to be in a film just once. Just even if it's like a tiny little bit part and I get one line, I'd be happy with that. So that's the only other real ambition that I've got. Thank you, Charlie. Good question. Next, James Clover. Do you get a sense of pride seeing progress regulars appear on WWE TV? Absolutely, yes. I mean, it's not down to us that they're on television. They're on television because they themselves are incredibly talented and incredibly hardworking and incredibly dedicated to being wrestlers, whether it's for us in progress or for other companies in the UK or for WWE. Um, I know that when I was in Manchester for Raw... And I know that when Pete went out for his match, I genuinely felt emotional in the same way that I felt emotional when Will Ospreay won Super Juniors, in the same way that I was emotional when Jack Gallagher came out at the in the Royal Rumble this year. It, it, these people are my friends, and it makes me happy to see them successful um, in the same way that I'm sure people who are my friends would be happy if all of a sudden I was on Live at the Apollo or I bought a book out or something like that. So... Um, yeah, absolutely. I don't sit there and go, they're there because of me. Absolutely not. That's an incredibly arrogant viewpoint to have. Um, but I do sit there and think, if 
if me and John and Glenn and our little company has played the smallest role in getting these people where they want to be with their career, then that makes me happy. And, you know, and then the next challenge is who's next that we can do that with. So, um, or help do that with rather. So yeah, I'm always going to be proud because believe it or not, regard if you step away from storylines, 99% of people who've been in a progress locker room, I like. So if good stuff happens to them, I'm pleased. Um, it's more happiness for them than a sense of pride, I suppose. Does that make sense? I think that makes sense. Hmm. Right, uh, today's drink of choice is Pepsi Max, by the way. I haven't got any vanilla Coke. Joshua Bryant. Um, does it ever get really difficult to come up with new storylines for your shows as well as what talent to book? There are so many amazing wrestlers out there right now, and I feel like some people really don't know how much it takes to book talent and to make sure they are working with somebody you know they can have a great match with. Thanks. Uh, thanks for saving my life. I didn't do that, Josh. Um, I, I, I get so many nice messages about progress and about, about wrestling in general, and just my I, I try and be nice to everybody as well because, you know, I think I've explained this in the, the mental health special that I did. I am, uh, you know, I'm not... I'm not naturally the most confident, most cheerful person. And if, you know, if we can help anyone through through wrestling to be slightly happier, then eh, we've all won, haven't we? To your question, though, Josh, um, it is hard to come up with storylines, but it's lucky there's three of us. So if, there was, if it was just me or just John or just Glenn, it'd be a lot harder. Having three people plus the input of the wrestlers plus the input of people who work backstage with us means it's... The more shows we get, obviously it's harder and harder and harder to, to come up with with storylines. But I think, you know, ever since Alexandra Palace, we've put a lot of storylines into place and I'm really happy with all of those. But we do put ourselves under a lot of pressure. I want everything to be as good as it can possibly be. And I'm aware that not necessarily every storyline is going to be as super popular as your best ever. So you've always... I think the pressure that we put ourselves under is the most difficult part of coming up with storylines. We can always come up with ideas. It's the overthinking and the pressure to make stuff better. The thing that is most often said in, in creative meetings between myself, John and Glenn is one of us saying, I think we're overthinking this because we do have a tendency to do that because we genuinely care so much about what we do and we want everything to be great. In terms of um, what talents a book, we normally, I'll use CCK as an example. I probably got a tweet every day saying, when are you going to book CCK for about six months? I already knew I wanted to book CCK. I already told Chris Brooks in January when he was backstage in our, our show in Birmingham how much I would like him to work for us. It's finding the right opportunity to bring someone in rather than just throwing someone in for the sake of it. If we just put CCK in a tag team match for no reason, it wouldn't have been anywhere near as exciting as when they debuted in Manchester by coming out and having a big, you know, making a big deal out of them. Um, so for me, that's important. It's not just throwing things at a wall to see what sticks. It's making sure that everyone's got the right place and not just trying to use everybody because you want to use everybody. And you make a good point about some wrestlers work better with other wrestlers. Some wrestlers have tremendous chemistry. Sometimes it's because they're friends. Sometimes it's just one of those things. They've just got amazing chemistry. Um, and then some wrestlers don't have as good chemistry with other people. It's nothing down to rivalry or not getting on or anything like that. Just some wrestlers don't tend to work as well with others. Um, and we won't necessarily always know that unless we've seen two people wrestle each other before. Or a wrestler has come to me 
or John or Glenn and said, um, I seen that you want me to work with this person. Um, maybe it'd be a better match if you put someone else in with them. No one ever says, I don't want to work with this person because I don't like them. A couple of times we've had people say, you'll get a better match if you put this person in instead of me and have sacrificed the booking because most British wrestlers are pretty selfless when it comes to stuff like that. So, you know, people don't... The point you make about people not knowing how much it takes to book a show, it's one of the reasons that I'm a much less smart fan than I used to be. And I, I don't knock other companies for making the decisions that they do sometimes because I realise how hard it is. And, you know, you, you can't... It's not like... You know, remember those choose-your-adventure books that you could you could buy when I was a kid and you'd, you'd, you'd sort of read a page of it and say, uh, you come to the end of a tunnel uh, to go west, uh, go to page 54, to go east, go to page 110. And I go, right, I'm going east, I'll go to page 110. But I keep my thumb in the book where I'm turning from just in case I, I accidentally die by taking a wrong turn. Um, you can't do that with wrestling. If you take a wrong turn and people don't like it, you have to go, okay, people didn't like, don't like this. What do we do to fix this? And that's the hard work that people don't think about. Um, I'm sure that nearly everyone who watches progress or nearly everyone who watches wrestling in general is aware of how hard the work is that goes on behind it. Just sometimes, every now and again, you'll get a tweet from someone saying, or you'll see a tweet saying, oh, I didn't like this because they're not willing to wait for the payoff to a storyline or you know they just don't like it and they want to just go, no, it's not for me. I don't like it. I hate this now. And it's okay, okay. I'm not expecting to like everything, but there's a lot of hard work that goes into this. Nothing we do is ever thrown together. Everything is careful and considered and measured um, because three people who are really anal who do this company together. So, you know, um, thank you, Josh, for your question. Um, Kevin McCarthy, Nintendo Switch game recommendation that is not Mario or Zelda related. Uh, NBA 2K18, mate. Or FIFA. They're both good. I don't have either of them on my Switch because I've got them both on the Xbox One. Um, but either of those, absolutely. Doom's meant to be very good as well. Um, but I am currently playing Mario Odyssey because it's wonderful. I didn't like Zelda massively on the Switch. I thought it was too hard. Had too, too steep a learning curve. Which I'm aware is probably a controversial viewpoint. But, you know, it's fine and it's beautiful. But not for me. Not enjoying it. Martin Lamont. Uh, hi, Jim. Uh, hope all is good. Thanks, Martin. Um, he says, do you think social media, from a fan's perspective, not for companies themselves who use it as a promotional tool, causes more negativity than anything for wrestling? Um, so, if I explain to you how I look at Twitter, I, I love Twitter. I have been on Twitter since 2007, maybe 2008. Um and when I first went on Twitter, it was nothing to do with wrestling. It was all to promote comedy and, and, and do whatever. And the way I look at Twitter now is 99% of my interactions are wonderful with wrestling fans who love wrestling, love what we do. And you don't have to love what we do. To, just if you like wrestling, you're a mate of mine. That's how I look at it. You don't have to like everything that we do. There's no law on that. That does not fit under the don't be a dick thing. What does fit under don't be a dick is just being an arse to other wrestling fans or being rude to wrestlers. And there are a few people on Twitter, fans who choose to do that. There's equally a few people on Twitter who are wrestlers or promoters or managers who choose to do that. And there's no real need to be mean to people in life in general. 
the, the problem I have with Twitter in the main is there's a lot of people on Twitter who will talk in a way that they would never speak um, to people in real life. So, um, for example, when my when my wife uh, worked in the modeling industry, she would get a lot of dudes who would speak to her in an absolutely awful way. And then I'd stick up for her and they'd talk to me in a terrible way. Now, there's no way they would talk to my wife like that if we were stood in a restaurant. They wouldn't come over and talk to my wife like that. And they certainly wouldn't talk to me like that when I'm angry and stood next to them. But there's something about social media that makes people ridiculously brave. It makes people just, you know... People can be arseholes, unfortunately. But in the main, social media is a good thing. Social media brings... Like, if you guys want to speak to me, you can DM me on Twitter. Not a problem. I'll, I'll, it might take me a week or so to answer because I get a lot of DMs at the minute. But it means that you're in you're in my circle of friends on Twitter by following me and interacting with me. And that's really, really cool because I spend a lot of time trying to interact with you. It means that you can know what your favourite WWE wrestlers into, or your favourite actors into, or your favourite comedians into. So social media from that point of view is really, really cool. It's just how far some people choose to take it sometimes that's a little bit tedious and a little bit wrong. But in the main, 99% of stuff on social media is good for professional wrestling and good for society in general. It's just the odd person who chooses to ruin it. Mike, Mike, your email address, I'm not going to read it out, is the most amusing email address I've ever seen. Um, if Zach Gibson was going to do a face turn, how would you do it? I think the answer to this, Mike, is in Liverpool. Um, I'd have him do do Tuesday Night Jaw with me every week until people have no choice but to realise what an amusing young man he is and then do a face turn where he saves saves Jack Sexsmith from someone really villainous in Liverpool and then sings Hey Jude by the Beatles. It's probably the only way to do it. I don't ever want to turn him face, let's be honest. One of the best heels in the world. He's amazing at it. Um, but, you know, I mean, that's probably how I'd have to do it. I'd have to go for the full-on hometown babyface pop. That's the only way. Neil... Uh, Neil Adhead, age 34 and three quarters from Rotherham, says, The other week, Progress asked for bands who may be interested in having their music used as wrestlers' themes. Is Progress open to the idea of a band playing their music live at Wembley if it was chosen as a theme? It would depend on the band, and it would depend on how many tickets we sell for Wembley as to whether or not there is room to have that set up accordingly. It's not just as easy as just going, off you go. Um, and it would have to fit in with the show and around the show because having been to TakeOver this year and watched, watching um, Code Orange play Alistair Black's uh, entrance music, it's not just a case of you, you wheel them out on a little stage and you bring them back again. There's a lot more to consider than that. And we are an indie company with not a ton of technology. So those little boring things are things you have to consider. I've repeatedly asked Scroobius Pip to appear live and, and perform at one of our shows. But he's quite right in going, no, nah, I just want to watch. So fair play to him. Um, but... Um, but yeah, I think it's something that will be a possibility. It would also depend on what band it is because most of the bands that we're using are newer bands or bands that are unsigned or whatever because of various copyright issues and, and they're being kind enough to, to donate their music in order to get some more exposure. So it'd either have to be an amazingly iconic theme, theme tune that our fans have got used to over the course of a year or there would have to be a band that had somehow got super famous in that time for it to be worthwhile making it part of our show in Wembley. 
I think, if that makes if that makes sense. And also, why we would choose one band over all the others, there would have to be a reason for it. Um, so that was me with a business head on. I don't do that very often. Pete Schoen or Pete Sean? Pete Schoen? Schoen. Um, says, hi, two questions. You're taking a piss already, Pete. First question. Would Progress ever do a show at the Winter Gardens in Blackpool where the WWE UK tournament was held and where I was shown in the crowd wearing a suit? Um, uh, you didn't put that bit. I added that. It, I don't know. It's it's not a million miles away from Manchester where we run and we're obviously running four times in 2018, three times at the Ritz, one big show at um, Victoria Warehouse. So I don't know if we need to split sales in that in that way. Also, I don't know if we can afford to hire it because I'm fairly sure it's dead expensive. Um, is it a beautiful venue? Absolutely. Is it a beautiful venue that means a lot to me personally? Yes, it does. Because my dad, when I was a kid, refitted the inside of the Winter Gardens. Um, my dad uh, my dad works as a shop fitter and he refitted um, the Three Piers, uh, the Palace Nightclub uh, and the Tower Ballroom and the Winter Gardens um, during my sort of early teens. So it's a place that means a lot to me, Blackpool. I've spent a lot of my time there as a youth. So it would mean a lot to me to do it there, but probably not just that easy as clicking our fingers. And so second question, now that shows have been announced for next year, would Progress ever do a season ticket for the North, uh, for example, or the Manchester shows for that year? We looked into it. It's a bit of a pain to do it for just four shows, especially when it's only three shows in one venue and then a bigger show. Um, so we have looked into it. I get asked it a lot. So not at the minute, Pete, I'm afraid. Uh, but thank you for asking. Next up, Jake Lydiot uh, says, Hi Jim, this has been my first year of attending British wrestling shows. And at the end of every show I go to, all the guys on the show, I go to all the guys on the show and shake their hand and say thank you. But I feel like I shouldn't because I feel like I'm the only person doing it. Is this an okay thing to do? Am I just overthinking things in my awkwardness? Um, nothing wrong with being awkward, Jake, but I think you're overthinking it. Um, I never tire of people coming up to me and saying thanks for the show and I'm fairly certain the wrestlers just enjoy it. Um, you know, our shows, we don't do meet and greets and stuff like that. Our wrestlers sell their own merch. They're approachable. You can go up, you can high-five them, you can say that was a great match today. They're only going to go, thanks, unless they're a villain, then they might sort of sneer at you, but they'll be listening to you. There's nothing wrong with doing that at all, mate. Um, obviously the best way to support wrestlers that you really like is to buy their merchandise um, because that's putting food on the table um, but that doesn't mean that that's the only way you can thank people um, definitely just go up to someone and just say thanks that was a great match really enjoyed it you know you don't need to go into sort of match of the day level uh, amounts of analysis but people don't ever get tired of saying that you've enjoyed their work I know when I come off stage in a comedy club and someone wants to say they've enjoyed what I've done that makes me happy so make people happy. It's a good thing to do, Jake. It's a good thing to do. And don't ever worry about being awkward. Clint McCormack. Hi, Jim. Hope you and the family are well. I'm good, thanks, mate. I'm sat in my kitchen. Uh, the wife's having a bath. The boy's in bed. Um, this is, has probably been answered before, but if I've missed it, uh, I'm sure others will have as well. What is the story behind the names on the Progress ring, uh, ring canvas? So... Um, a little while ago, we needed a new ring canvas. We wanted our own because we were using... We don't own the ring. And we were hiring the ring in and it always had the same canvas on. And we wanted our own canvas with our logo on. And we didn't have the money to make it. So we crowdfunded it. So people contributed to it and that's how they got their names on it. Now we end up doing one roughly every year because we go through our canvases quite a lot. Mainly because 
Jimmy Havoc is a person who exists and he would inevitably bleed or put a hole in the canvas at some point during the year. Um, we currently have two canvases, a black one and a white one, uh, because the black one sold out so quickly, the spaces on the new one sold out so quickly, we had to make a second one that we use for the smaller shows um, or for one half of a show like we did in, in Alexandria Palace. So um, that's the story. We crowdfunded it. Fans want to put uh, their stuff on it. Um, and, you know, and that's a really, really cool thing to do. Nathan McDonough says, Hi, Jim. Hope yourself and the family are doing well. Thanks again for saying so, mate. Um, I flew over from Dublin for my first progress show in September for Chapter 55. Thanks, mate. I was absolutely blown away by the show, the positive atmosphere, and, and chatting in the queue with people about the crossover of British and Irish stars in the last few years. I'm currently saving like a madman to get myself back over during my break from college in February. It'll be lovely to see you, Nathan. Make sure you give me a high five. So my question is, with today, this was yesterday, being the anniversary of Eddie Guerrero's death, were he alive today, who on the list of progress regulars would you like to see him face? Um, this comes up in nearly every every discussion that we have whenever it's who would you like the current progress who would you like from the current progress roster to face insert name here um, Pete Dunne because he's brilliant um, I think Pete Dunne versus Eddie Guerrero in the peak of his powers would be wonderful I think Tyler Bate versus Eddie Guerrero in the peak of his powers would be wonderful um, because Eddie was such a good storyteller as well as such a good wrestler Eddie Guerrero against Jack Sexsmith would be really good like really now I'm thinking about it it'll be really good um, so I think they'd all work um, and just because he was so good with he, he was great with Raymond obviously his, his series of matches with Rey Mysterio were brilliant his matches with Dean Malenko were brilliant but imagine him and Volta just for a minute just imagine him and Volta just imagine how well he'd sell everything that Volta did it'd be brilliant I'm getting all misty eyed and nostalgic great question Nathan thanks mate James Tiller, is there an angle slash program you've ever been on the verge of booking and then pulled back from for whatever reason? And what was the reason, if you can say? Um, we probably have. We've probably, we've pulled out of stuff because we've come up with something better. We've never had anything that's been super controversial and we've thought we can't do this because people will hate it. But the stuff that, we've wanted to do and we've just gone either we've read the reaction to it and just gone mm, no um, or or we've tweaked it so I know that um, the the faceless storyline that became the origin storyline love the origin part of it the faceless faceless part of it was slightly fraught with problems and we tweaked that way more than you would ever realise um, behind the scenes just to, to to make it work and it did work in the end um, but the original path that that was on was very different to how it ended up um, and we've certainly caught with things I struggle to give you a, an idea of, of, of one of these in particular but all three of us have pitched an idea the other two have gone yeah that seems alright and then we've all gone away and about a week later gone no let's do something else <laughs> that happens a lot because again, it's the joy of three of us. It means there's always going to be a casting vote, and you know, all three of us like to try and agree on everything. So, um, there's definitely been times. Sorry, I can't give you specific examples apart from the, the faceless one I gave you. But, um, but yeah, Gareth Butler gave me a high five by email form. Good choice. Um, can you tell us the story about how the Wembley Arena gig was booked? Yes, I can, mate. Mm. 
Was it something you were approached to do? Or did you guys decide to back yourselves and book it after your much-deserved success? Oh, bless you, mate. Either way, I'm super excited for it. Progress Sundays are definitely the best kind of Sunday, but that one will be extra special. Damn right it will be, mate. I'm going to try and convince my daughter to come to wrestling for the first time at Wembley. I think if she doesn't come to that one and sees her dad walk out of Wembley, I don't, you know, fairly sure I can, fairly sure I can possibly just disown her. I'm not going to do that. She's lovely. Um... So, when we were looking at venues for, I want to say Brixton Academy, we looked at a load of different places. We looked at Alexandra Palace, we looked at Brixton Academy, and uh, there was a lady working at Wembley Arena who was a wrestling fan, and she invited us to come and have a look around and have a chat. And at the time, this was a couple of years ago, at the time we went, I feel a bit uncomfortable trying to do this, I don't know if we can do it. Um, um, we said we'd stay in touch and that was that um, and they were very cool at, at wanting to have us there um, the weird thing with venues and all the time when we sell out shows really quick people will say it's time to get a bigger venue why don't you do this venue rest assured every venue you can think of certainly in London we have approached at some point they don't want us they don't want us there What's nice about Wembley and what's nice about Alexandra Palace is they really, really want us there. Um, for Super Strong Style, they Alexandra Palace really, really wanted us there because they loved what the Progress fans were like the first time they were there. They thought they were brilliant. And it was the same with Wembley. Wembley, obviously, it's in their interest to sell tickets and they must believe that we can sell a decent amount of tickets or they want to invite us there. But it was very much them starting the discussion and then... Over the last year, we've realized that we might not be doing this forever. hope we are, but we might not be doing this forever. And if we're not doing it forever, wouldn't it be nice to just do Wembley once? To just have that one time where we go, we did Wembley Arena. That's our main motivation behind it. We hope we'll sell enough tickets. We know we'll make it a very good show. Um, but it was a mixture of them approaching us and us just wanting to just go, fuck it, let's have a go. So... <laughs> That's where it came about. Um, but they started it. Um, so it's, it's those guys you've got to blame for, for, for getting us on board in the first place. Good question, Gareth. Alex Palmer-Smith says, Cheers yesterday for Manchester. It was a bloody mental show. Yes, it was, sir. Was wondering, when you started the company, was there anything in the international wrestling lexicon you had to start referring to differently as more wrestlers starting coming into work for you to ensure clarity of booking, organizing, etc. So is it, so is the example he's used, is it the bit before the entrance or is it called Gorilla by everyone now, for example? It's called Gorilla on our shows because we have monitors and stuff there. We never used to, but even before we had monitors and stuff there, it's always been called Gorilla. Always. Um, I mean, we don't have a Spanish announce table. Um <laughs> Um, so we just have spare tables um, but yeah I think we've always I mean because the three of us are such big fans and I'm a proper nerd about everything even if there was terms that that say so John's been a wrestling fan for the least amount of time out of the three of us um, he's no less into it than the three of us but he's been around it less than me and Glenn um, Glenn's been into it since he was a kid I've been into it since I was a kid John's been into it since he's sort of 20s Um so, so yeah, so I think I've always, I've read so much about it and been so nerdy about it. I was always going to use certain terms, I suppose. So, 
Um, it's always been the case. And wrestlers tend to talk in those terms as well. Um, so, yeah. He says, if you need me, I'll be refreshing Zach Gibson's merch page, waiting for a We Make Room for Battle Table shirt. We should probably do a Tuesday Night Jaws Zach Gibson collaboration for that. Jamie says, a question I've pondered to myself many times. I wanted your input on the subject. With the current WWE products, when exactly did pro wrestling become sports entertainment? I think it was roughly around the time WWE became WWE rather than WWF. Um, although uh, I think it was the early 90s uh, where Vince McMahon actually uh, made the admission in court that wrestling wasn't, strictly speaking, it was a sport. And I think that's the first time he ever used the phrase sports entertainment. Um, someone who's much more up on these things, um, I haven't done my research before answering these questions, will probably be able to give you the right answer on exactly when the right that point was. But if you think about it, this is how I look at it. WWE is a product that is on mainstream peak hour television. Companies like Progress, PWG, uh, ICW, uh, Ring of Honor, uh, WXW, whoever, we're not, I mean, I know Ring of Honor kind of are, but we're not strictly speaking a televised product. We're still wrestling. Um, and the reason we're still wrestling is everyone who wants to watch our shows comes straight to us. They come to us, they know what they want. WWE is both for us, wrestling fans are super into it, but it's also for kids who, you know, it might be their little craze of the month this month, they might not like it next month. And for parents who have to take those kids to the wrestling shows. So it's also for people who are flicking through a channel, flicking through your hundred odd channels on, you know, regular American television. You might be flicking through on a Monday night and you might stop on Raw. So it's not just about having 20 minute long technical wrestling matches for a reason, because it's not, we'll, we're rest, as wrestling fans, we'll probably always watch WWE. It's the other people that you've got to bring in. So I think that's the difference between WWE's product being sports entertainment and progress, for example, being professional wrestling. Um, WWE is still professional wrestling. It's just, it, it goes one step beyond because it's trying to attract a different audience. I hope that makes sense, Jamie. Um, that's my take on it anyway. Phil Allen says, been a listener since day one. Cheers. Uh, and I've got to say, it makes the trip to work bearable. My question is, you talk about your love for all Japan. Just wondering how you got into it. I'm assuming in the days of tape trading, it wasn't easy. On the contrary, mate, it was dead easy. Um, I found a website when I was about 20, 21. I sat at university, DeMontfort University in Leicester. Sat there and I found a website with a guy who was selling tapes and I sent him an email and then I paid him some money and he sent me three uh, long play NTSC videotapes that had eight hours of All Japan on and most of the All Japan stuff had the <laughs> basically had the same four or five wrestlers on it so Misawa Kabashi Tawe Kawada uh, Akiyama were nearly all of them um, and I just that's how I got into it um he says, have you got a, a place that would be a good place to start for a novice like myself? Um, what I'd recommend is, if you don't already, um, is maybe consider subscribing to the Wrestling Observer. Um, I'm rereading lots of old Wrestling Observers at the minute. Um, but Dave Meltzer always put television reviews in for, for shows back then, and you'll be able to see just how many five-star matches there were. The other way to do it is you can Google Dave Meltzer five-star match list, and you can see a list of every single match that's ever been given five stars by Dave Meltzer. 
there's a lot of all Japan matches from between sort of 92 and 96. Just pick a few of those out and give them a go. A lot of them are on YouTube as well. Um, so that's probably a good place to start. Um, I am putting, you point out my passion about it. It's because it's, it's what, I think it's had the biggest long lasting effect on me. It's all Japan, Midnight is all Japan, probably the biggest long lasting effect on me. Um, then probably a tie between World of Sport and late 1990s ECW um, in terms of the longest effect on me outside of WWE, which is the thing I really fell in love with when I was a kid. So, um, so yeah. So thanks for taking the time out. I'll see you in February. Just book tickets to see you do stand-up when you make the trip up to Newcastle. Oh, that's when I'm doing uh, first weekend in February. I'm doing the stand in Newcastle, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. John says, hey, Jim, all is well. Uh, I'm aware the podcast has a positive outlook, so I've attempted to word the question with an air of positive critique. You spoke in the past you view mistakes as a learning process that facilitates success. Are there storylines in wrestling that, although might not hit the mark, you've used as inspiration to expand upon and create a more functional storytelling? If not, are there storylines you feel have a nugget of potential hidden inside an execution that didn't quite work? Personal note, sorry the question is long. I have trouble with concise articulation. I think you've got it across well, John. Don't worry, mate. And thank you for your kind words about my last question regarding the perceptions of finishers. Um, Not a problem at all, John. Um, It's a weird one because I I try not to armchair book stuff anymore. I think from a progress point of view, where we've made mistakes in the past, we've always learned from them. I'm also very keen um, from both a business and a booking standpoint, and John and Glenn are as well, we all know if other people have ever made mistakes, we try to learn from those as well. Um, because it's important. Um, the only way you do learn is by making mistakes. And believe me, I know we get a lot of people being super nice about progress, but we have made loads of mistakes in in the history of our company. The difference between us and other companies is we're very good at learning from those mistakes. I like to think anyway. Um, in terms of an, an idea that didn't work where... I think there's it's difficult to think of a specific example of something that didn't work where I think there could have been there could have been something in it uh, I suppose one of the most recent things that I, I would potentially have done differently and I'm aware that this this storyline kind of got killed by him getting sick but would be the Bray Wyatt Finn Balor storyline where they were talking about Sister Abigail and all that sort of stuff is I think that would have been a great opportunity to introduce either a new uh, female wrestler to the Raw roster um, and give her a massive push and something different to what all the other women in the division have, which is obviously could be completely crazy, which I think is is something that isn't represented fantastically well in the women's division at the minute. They're all brilliant wrestlers and they're all brilliant characters, but there's no one who's completely nuts um, in a kind of female equivalent of Mick Foley or, or Bray Wyatt indeed. Um so, I mean, there is on NXT, of course, because they've got Nikki Cross. Um, so it'd either be to introduce someone completely new or it would have been to reintroduce someone like Paige. I think that could have been really, really cool. Um, but that's one thing that I think of. But that's me being an armchair booker in the same way that when I watch football, I'm an armchair manager. And I'll go, oh, maybe I will have done this. One thing I do know is I'm not envious of anyone who does have to put that stuff together because, again, you only get one shot at it and then the entire world decides whether they like or dislike something, which is one of the reasons I always try and be positive about everything. Good question, John. Thanks, mate. Giuseppe. Hey, Giuseppe. says, my question is, RevPro is doing the Global Wars with New Japan. Excellent. Uh, excellent it was, so I heard as well. Um, 
will progress in the future do a show or shows in Europe with one or two promotions, Americans or European, with the same concept? Probably not, Giuseppe. Um, I mean, we have done joint shows. We've promoted shows. So we've promoted shows for WXW in this country and WXW have promoted shows for us in Germany. We've had a versus show with Evolve in America. Well, there's only really a couple of matches that were Progress versus Evolve. Um, I don't like the idea of of a war between two promotions um, because one promotion has to come off looking slightly worse. Um, so it's not really it's not really for me. I prefer to and because everyone works everywhere in independent wrestling, I'd always prefer it to be. Um, I'd always prefer it to be something that that just progresses progress on its own. Um, that said, um, if whenever American companies approach us and say, hey, do you want to come and do some shows with us? That's cool. Just whether a versus show is always my cup of tea is, is different. I like the idea of going and doing shows in different markets with the support of a promotion there, like our relationship with WWN in America, our relationship with WXW in Central Europe. So they're, they're things I like, um, but it's how you structure them and don't make them one company versus the other company. If it's this company and this company hand in hand, that's much better. This company versus another company, I'm less bothered about. Ryan says, um, does it bother you when people who don't watch wrestling say, oh, I wish WWE would bring back the Attitude Era? For me, as good as some of the Attitude Era stuff is, there are also some dreadful stuff, and the current wrestling as a whole product is much better, which I would agree with. Um, go back and watch an episode of Raw from any time after Steve Austin wins the title. Steve Austin wins the title of WrestleMania in 1998, doesn't it? WrestleMania 14? And up until that point, Raw's been all about Steve Austin. Raw's still all about Steve Austin after that point. But Vince Russo goes a bit mad. And Vince Russo, on one hand, a lot of the stuff he did was super, super smart and super, super clever. On the other hand, again, if you've got to write that much television every week, eventually you're going to run out of ideas and it's going to get a bit crazy. And I think, I think that's kind of what happened. The average amount of time spent wrestling on Raw during the Attitude Era was probably about 10 minutes on a two-hour show. It was very little actual wrestling. I like wrestling. I like storylines and I like promos. I love all that stuff. But I like that being the side dish to professional wrestling, not it being all about that. And I think now, if you watch Raw now, I know Raw's longer, but if you watch Raw and SmackDown now, the quality of wrestling, the quality of those shows, certainly the ones I watched in Manchester last week, they're great. There's loads of cool stuff on those shows. Um, the Attitude Era was special at the time. I think anyone trying to recreate it now would find it difficult. Would I like to see WWE be less PG? Maybe. But then the difficult part of this is, on one hand, for some of my sensibilities, I've hard, really hard-hitting wrestling. I kind of would. And because I like comedy and I like stuff to be a little bit edgy from that point of view, I kind of would. But on the flip side of that... You know, this week I went to WWE house shows and I watched kids losing their minds at how brilliant professional wrestling is and how guys like, you know, Finn Balor and Randy Orton are superheroes to them. So whilst it's very it's it's very common for us adult professional wrestling fans to to want stuff catered to us, you know, we've got to think about the, the next generation of wrestling fans as well. And if you're honest, some of the stuff in the Attitude Era is brilliant. Some of it is ropey as anything. Val Venus getting his penis cut off, for example, fairly ropey. Um, so yeah, I, I, it is all. It does tend to be 
people who haven't watched wrestling for 20 years thinking that it's the be all and end all and it isn't because wrestling now is great it really is on a personal note this is from Ryan still um, as someone who has issues with depression as someone who's living with the possibility of having lived separate from my wife and son not long after Christmas oh mate um, your podcast and the positivity as well as what you and the progress crew do really keep me just about sane so I want to say thank you um, your company is the best thing about wrestling in a minute oh come on mate we're not we, we try our best though um, once everything's sorted with my housing and settled I'll be coming to see progress and giving you probably a Los Ingenables style fist bump um, thank you Ryan that's very good of you that's very sweet of you to say so and I hope everything uh, in your in your family life is all sorted Joe Atherton right others how's it going um, hi Jim lovely to see you in Manchester on Sunday uh, for me one of the best first halves of a show I've seen all year I was absolutely buzzing at the break the rest of the show was great too it was the first half was virtually impossible to top <laughs> four really 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 good matches um, if you get a chance to see them on demand-progress.com at the end of the week I would heartily recommend it opening match is crazy uh, this, uh, the the uh, I can't I don't want to give too much away about the match before the interval was crazy I don't want to give you any spoilers um, and uh, Doug Williams versus Joe Coffey oh tearing my eye at various points during that match wonderful um so hope you and the family are well and settle into your new home nicely. We are. It's still echoing it. I apologise. A few brief questions. Apologies someone has beat me to it and already asked them. I know you plan things well in advance and would never, uh, and would never say book so-and-so, but is there any chance we'll see the much-loved Rampage Brown back in the Progress Ring? I know you have shows planned months ahead, but he's easily one of the most loved members of the Progress alumni. I hope it's not a copyright issue due to his iconic hate breed theme. We've never not booked someone for uh, copyright issues. What happens in independent wrestling is... Uh, sometimes people there's no animosity between us and Rampage Um, I will put Rampage over to everyone who listens to me because I think he's brilliant Um, third ever progress champion um, smashing bloke inside and out the ring really good trainer of wrestlers Um, just a really really good guy to have around first ever Atlas champion as well Um, so love Rampage to bits Um, we still get on fine with him Um, there's nothing in the diary for him with us at the minute is the door open to him absolutely yes um, but again it's just that thing of you can have someone come in for a match or two or you can have someone come in for a reason and I'd always prefer to have someone back in for a reason um, but Rampage is brilliant and if ever you get if you listen to this and you've never seen a Rampage Brown match live if you find he's wrestling anywhere within spitting distance of you go and see him he's great um, and he says do you ever think there'll be a title change in Manchester Something that doesn't really affect me as I go to the ballroom, Birmingham and Sheffield shows. Become a running joke among the Northern Ultras that Birmingham has had three title changes in two shows, while Sunday was Manchester's 10th show and still no titles changed hands. All right, Callum. Um, (laughs) Even New York has had one. Not a criticism. Skill versus Hero is probably the best progress match I've ever seen live. I would agree with you there. That was in Manchester. The quality of shows is never in question. Just an interesting anomaly a few of us have noticed. Um... So when we decide a title's changing hands, I, we genuinely don't look at what city it's in. It's just coincidence. There's nothing against Manchester. I love doing shows in Manchester. It's the closest to my house. I love the Ritz. I love everyone that works at the Ritz. Um, it's a brilliant venue. The atmosphere is always brilliant. Um, they'll probably be there one, one there one day. But it's not... Again, we don't really look at it. We look at we plan when titles are going to switch a few months in advance, and we just go. That's the show that makes the most sense. We don't tend to look at it from the point of view of a title has to change hands in this city. It's just not something we've ever thought about. I'm sure it'll happen one day, and just imagine the pop when it does. 
Um, thoughts on Chris Jericho versus Kenny Omega at Wrestle Kingdom next year? I thought the promo was brilliant. Um, I kind of thought they'd be wrestling each other at some point. Didn't think it'd be at Wrestle Kingdom. I thought it'd be on Chris Jericho's cruise because never, I never believe it when two wrestlers go at each other on Twitter. It's just never believable because you just wouldn't tweet someone that often. You'd just stop. So, um, yeah, I thought the promo that they did was great. Um, so, yeah, I'm genuinely, I'm excited about it. I'm excited about Wrestle Kingdom in general because it's always great. Um, and also excited to see where uh, Jericho and Omega go after that. You know, whether they try and do it again, whether Jericho goes back to WWE, uh, whether Kenny Omega renews his contract with uh, New Japan, which is up at the end of January. Who knows? Richard Peck, very much a WWE question, but something I've wondered. After the women's Money in the Bank ladder match, thoughts on maybe an NXT equivalent of either male or female for any main roster title? It's a good idea, mate. It's a good idea. Um, the idea of someone in NXT winning it and it being, you can cash it in for any title and everyone expecting them to cash it in with the NXT title, then turning up on Raw or a pay-per-view at some point and winning it and that instantly making them a top-tier star on the main roster, banging idea. Um, I mean, probably copyright it now, Rich, is what I'm saying. Reese Wynn says, uh, hey Jim, if you could run a progress chapter in any football stadium in the world, which could it be? If we can guarantee we're selling it out, mate, American R. Um, I don't know, mate, to be honest. Um, I mean, we're running right next to one next September. Um, I think realistically at the minute, we'd have to run it in somewhere that only holds like two and a half, three thousand <laughs> to make it a success. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, every fiber of me wants to say the King Power Stadium is a Leicester City supporter, but I also don't like that stadium very much. Um, I much preferred Filbert Street. So I don't know. Where's my... St. Pauli Stadium in Hamburg, the Milan Tour. Let's do it there. I think that's supers. That's the one I choose. Ash says, uh, with the upcoming return of War Games at NXT TakeOver, which other gimmick match would you like to see resurrected in the WWE? Obviously, the Judy Bagwell on a forklift truck match is a given, but what else would you like to see? Um, anything on the pole matches, but I did see one in WWE the other day with um, Elias uh, in his uh, guitar on a pole match against Jason Jordan on Raw last week. Um what else would I like to see? I did enjoy the Hardcore Battle Royal. <laughs> Do you remember that? One of the WrestleManias? Um, the Hardcore Battle Royal I'd like to bring back just so someone can be hit in the head with a jar of sweets by Jim Ross at the end of it. Um, and the title can change hands 74 times during the course of the match. So I think probably that. Gary Hernan says hi Jim how are you I was at the show yesterday absolutely loved it um, that was the fourth chapter I've travelled over from Ireland for have tickets for Wembley and hope to make it to all the Manchester shows next year too dead easy flying from Manchester to Ireland isn't it because I do it the other way a lot for stand up my question is with progress growing to where it has in five years do you think that the type of growth experience can be sustained over the next five years or do you think you're reaching a peak then it will be about maintaining it I think to be honest mate if we're at a point where companies like us can do Wembley Arena and ICW can do the hydro. Um, it's harder to get any bigger than this. Um, it's much more about maintaining it and making sure that everybody involved in British wrestling doesn't mess it up because this situation has been messed up before. Um, and 
all big peaks in professional wrestling history, you know, certainly independent companies are, have got have got greedy or try to overreach themselves or whatever. And I don't ever want us to do that. Um, I'd love us to still be running in five years' time, but I don't know what the the financial situation of the country is going to be like. I don't know. Uh, we don't know how much things like Brexit are going to affect us or the political situation in America is going to affect us. So who knows? Uh, I, for me, I thought the glass ceiling for us was being able to do a 700-capacity venue. So it goes to show you what I know about the situation. Um, but I want us to maintain it. You know, everyone's got to be willing to know that, let's say, let's say we do really well at Wembley, but let's say a year after that, we're not selling the ballroom out anymore. You have to be realistic about these things and you have to do whatever you need to do to keep British wrestling alive rather than just everyone thinking that, this is my big problem with British wrestling at the minute is there's loads of really great companies, ones I mention all the time, like like ICW and Rev Pro and Fight Club Pro and Attack and Chaos and uh, you know and and so on and then there's an OTT over in Ireland and WXW in Europe and then there's there's companies that just spring up try and do one show and then bugger off again I've got no time for them because they're the ones that look at British wrestling and go oh there's some money to be made in this and don't think about how much work myself and John and Glenn and all the people involved in those companies I've just mentioned and other companies have put into trying to make something that we love so that's the big problem is if you go to if you go to a terrible indie show put together really badly and you get ripped off and you see that a lot of the same talent on that indie show wrestles for us or any of the other indie companies you're going to tar us all with the same brush if you don't know your stuff about wrestling and that's the thing I'm more concerned about than anything else Andy Conway says my question is about finishers I'm not overly fond of Seth Rollins short arm knee finisher his ripcord running knee isn't it uh, I think it'd be better served with a more spectacular move which wrestler would you like to give a new finisher and what would it be? Uh, thanks. I'll high five you at Wembley, if not before. Um, oh, I don't know. Um, I'd give Dean Ambrose a different finisher, just because um, Dirty Deeds is is the double arm DDT, and two of the great, two of my biggest heroes used the double arm DDT, and I'm sure Dean's doing it out of tribute to them. But he's an interesting enough character in his own right, and I think that's one of those moves that it. After Mick Foley and Kenta Kabashi doing it, no one else should ever do it. Um, so that's just me. And also, you know, he could do loads of really, really crazy stuff. Um, so, you know, maybe Dean Ambrose, maybe. Because um, also, uh, nowadays, compared to a lot of moves, it's not necessarily the most spectacular of moves either. And I think he'd be better served as something that gets across his craziness. Just me personally. But, yes. Right. Nearly 30 questions down now, guys. Liam York says, so been thinking about this a little this week. Even though I'm not a trainee wrestler, I think it might be useful for anyone out there who is. I recently heard someone discussing that they met a number of wrestlers at a tape face gig. If you don't know tape faces, uh, he's an act, a cabaret act. He's a stand-up comedian, kind of, but he doesn't really speak, uh, called The Boy With The Tape On His Face. Um, and he's a kind of a mime, a modern version of a mime. So they had all gone along to get an idea about how he is able to convey so much emotion through his eyes, as this is something that they can then feed back into promo work and so forth. Absolutely. You watch a wrestler, always be watching. There's two things you should watch to see if someone's really good at the actual in-ring part of wrestling. One is their eyes uh, and their face, just to see what they're conveying with that, what feelings, what emotions they're conveying with that. And the other is their footwork, just to see that they're all in, you know, they know what they're doing, they're in the right place at the right time all the time, everything's confident, nothing seems hesitant. 
Um, what I was wondering is, what non-wrestling influences would you recommend to potential wrestlers as a way to learn some of the other aspects that are needed to be a great all-round wrestler? Feel free to interpret that however you best see fit. Thanks, Liam. Um, what I'd say, Liam, is some adv- a bit of advice I heard William Regal give once is, let's say you're queuing at the post office and there's a person in front of you. You're a trainee wrestler. You're queuing at the post office and there's a person in front of you who's really annoying. Try and take something that's really annoying about that person and adapt it to yourself. I know that William Regal's villain act was very much based around people that he knew from Blackpool and people that he'd seen in films and on television and and he pieced it all together and made this amazing act out of it. Because that's what you are. As a wrestler, you are an act. So try and think of all these things that can help build your persona up. I know that also um, at the Performance Centre in Orlando, when Dusty Rhodes was alive... He would often ask people in his promo class what their favourite film was or if they'd watched something on TV that week and what they liked about it and what it was in particular they liked about a certain character. You don't just have to watch wrestling and then become a little 101 version of a wrestler. Take influences from everywhere is the best, whether it's people you meet in the street, people you see on television and films, people you see in bands. I realised this is completely by accident. When I'm on stage, especially at music festivals, which I do a lot of, doing stand-up, I realise that I do a thing where I wrap the mic cord around my wrist. Um, and the way, when I'm doing loud stuff, I, I bend double and shout it into the microphone. And I, I, I only saw, because someone filmed me doing this, and I saw footage of it, and I was like, why am I doing that? And then realised I was accidentally uh, appropriating the spirit of Deftones lead singer Chino Moreno when I'm on stage. Only at music festivals, because I'm on a similar size stage. The rest of the time it wouldn't work. And that's someone I took performing skills from because I think he's one of the best performers, one of the best frontmen in the world. I've took his performing skills, um, even though I don't sing or do anything that he does. So, you know, you can always learn from anyone, from any other aspect of performing. Don't just ever feel that you need to be nailed down to the area that you're working in. Martin Hart says, do you think British wrestling will ever return to weekly TV? Who knows? Maybe. Um, I don't know if World of Sport ever will, based on you know the, the sort of aborted couple of times people have tried to do that. Um, I mean, my attitude towards television from Progress's point of view, I'm not bothered about it, never have been. Um, but it doesn't mean... I, I think there's a place for it, because wrestling's my favourite thing. So to me, it makes sense that there will be wrestling on television, but... You know, we've got to compete these days with reality television and all that sort of boring stuff. So who knows? I hope someone genuinely takes a punt on it at some point. Neil Burbridge. Burbidge, sorry. Um, Hi, Jim. I discovered progress this year with Chapter 46 and I've loved it. Now I can't get enough of show days devolving to me spamming F5. Sorry, mate. My question is, were there any full shows that got you obsessed with wrestling from pure quality? Um, Let's have a think. There's probably, I'm trying to think of an example of a show where I love absolutely everything on it. The the thing that made me, um, the thing that made me a, and I can't remember the show title, but there was a Ring of Honor DVD I had from about 2003, 2000, maybe 2004, really early on in, in Ring of Honor's proper march to power, where I loved everything on it and repeatedly watched it again and again. I've still got the DVD somewhere. I'll try and find a pic, I'll try and find the DVD. It's in a box somewhere because we moved out. I'll try and find a DVD and take a picture of it. But that was definitely a big thing for me. Um, because I already love wrestling, but I'd always get tapes of stuff and I'd watch some stuff. 
Um, and there'd always be something I didn't like. This was the first show where I loved absolutely everything. And I remember trying to use that to show non-wrestling fans why I like wrestling so much. Um, uh, there's a couple of ECW shows. Uh, I want to say Heatwave 98 was a big one for me as well. Um, when I managed to get it from HMV in Leicester when I was a student. Um, so that was probably a big one. I didn't get that till about 2000. Um, so I think that was quite a big one as well. Dave Green says, uh, if you were to book a wrestling show using animals, oh Dave, what ones would you, what make up the roster? What would you put in the main event, the tag division, and who would be in the squash match? Plus of course, who's the champion? <laughs> Apologies for the utter randomness of the question, but you did ask for something that you've never been asked, and that was worryingly the first thing that came to my mind. Champion's a bear. The champion is a grizzly bear. This in no way is influenced by Pete Dunne's tattoo on his knee. Hmm. A champion is 100% a grizzly bear. Absolutely 100%. Um, tag division, I would have made up of various apes. Because I reckon they just work pretty well together. Um, squash match. Ah, I don't know. I don't know what I'd have in a squash match. I mean, it, the easy option is to just basically just put a gorilla in there. With, I don't know, a marmoset, maybe. I like monkeys. There's a reason I like monkeys. Um, my favourite animal is a pangolin, if you're bothered. Um, tweet me pangolin pictures, at Jim Smallman. Hashtag Tuesday Night Jewel. Um, I like red pandas as well. Um, I like bears of all sorts, including pandas. I like monkeys because uh, I grew up in Leicestershire near Twycross Zoo, which is a monkey specialist zoo. Um, so I'd have a lot of monkey-based stuff. Plus, I reckon the matches they put on would be pretty good, but a bear would always be champion. Always. Um, I might have a main event of a lion versus a bear. The lion would have to wear kick pads because it would amuse me. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. God, I've still got 50 questions left. Josh Carey from Maidenhead. Hi, Josh. Uh, my question is, what is the best WWE match from 2017? The best WWE match from 2017 is Pete Dunne versus Tyler Bates at NXT TakeOver Chicago by a million, million, bajillion, bajillion miles. There's been loads of great stuff in WWE this year, but I'm biased because those two lads are my mates. That match made me cry with how good it was. So I'm, that's going to get my vote every single time. It's my favourite match of the year. It's my favourite match probably of the decade. It, it's my second favourite match of the decade. Money in the Bank. Uh, Money in the Bank Cena versus CM Punk is probably my favourite of the decade but I love that match I think it's absolutely wonderful um, who in my opinion is the best wrestler of 2017 um, Pete Dunne would be up there but I'm going to try and pick someone who hasn't worked for progress so I don't look too biased um, it's either it's one of three guys who work for New Japan it's either Kenny Omega or Kota Ibushi or Kazuchika Okada um, and if I can't choose any of them and you want me to choose someone uh, from close to home, it'd be Will Ospreay. They're all brilliant. Um, you know, all five of those names there, Pete as well, and Tyler too, all great. There's so much great talent around at the moment. Um, and, you know, we should all be rightly very, very excited about it. My second favourite WWE match from this year, by the way, is um, Ember Moon versus Asuka from TakeOver in New York, which I thought was absolutely wonderful. Properly wonderful match. Thanks, Josh. There we go, down to the last 50. George Bass. I'm presuming you're called George Bass, not George Bass. How low can you go? Death row. 
etc. Um, hi Jim, bit of a different question for you, a hypothetical one if you will. There have been lots of wrestlers, especially in America, who have crossed over from being a professional sports person, whether that's from being in the NFL, MMA, etc., or from a profession that requires lots of physical fitness, for example, dancers and such like. If you could handpick a known British sports person or someone from any form of physical discipline to cross over into wrestling for progress, whom would you choose and why? I would choose Adebayo Akin Fenwa. The uh, where's he playing at the minute? Gillingham, I want to say Gillingham. I'm going to have to look this up. But I'd choose Akin Fenwa. Um, I, I briefly tweeted him once, asking him to come and work for Progress. Um, first of all, he's dead strong, um, like one of the strongest people in professional sports. Um, he's a bit of a cult personality. I have a feeling he quite likes wrestling. He's 35 now, so soon he'll need a new career. Um, he's currently at Wickham. That's where he is. 18 goals in 51 games. Um, he seems like a smashing bloke and he's a Londoner. He's from Islington, so just at the road from Camden. So, yeah, Adebayo Akin Fenwell. 100%. Absolutely. Um, if you're not familiar with him, go and look him up. He's the best. Ian Green. Uh, hi, Jim. Thoughts on Survivor Series and the changes it's gone through in the last few weeks? Gone through a lot of changes. Uh, one change, there's a spoiler, if you are not watched Raw last night. Um, one change that's now happened is Triple H is involved on the Raw side. I think... What that's done is give Survivor Series a, a main event that hasn't... If you think you've gone into a big pay-per-view like that and there's been a little bit of unpredictability and I was at SmackDown when AJ Styles won the title and I did not see that coming, um, then all you do as a wrestling fan is you go, well, I'm going to tune in for this and we'll see what's going to happen. That's a very, very positive thing. So I think it's there's potential for a lot of cool stuff to happen there. Survivor Series traditionally was always my second favourite um, WWE pay-per-view after the Royal Rumble when they used to do Survivor Series matches all the time I'm glad to see there's a couple of them on that show which makes me very happy um, so so yeah I mean it does have an air of anything can happen it has an air of setting things in place going towards the Royal Rumble and uh, as a bigger picture towards Wrestlemania um, AJ Styles versus Brock Lesnar is going to be sick um, I'm really excited and I'm obviously excited for TakeOver the night before as well Mark Canvin says, Hey Jim, hope your family, you and your family are well. But I'll just say this, lovely Tuesday night jaw listeners. Thanks for always asking about my family. I appreciate it. It's very nice of you. Um, he says, In the wake of the news of Jericho versus Omega at Wrestle Kingdom next year, I want to ask, if you could bring in one legend of recent years to wrestle one of the champs within progress at either Super Strong Style 16 or a big show like Hello Wembley, who would you use and against which champ I would currently choose Daniel Bryan versus Travis Banks because I know the influence that Daniel Bryan had on Travis Banks I know if you watch Trav a lot of his work is very similar to Ring of Honor era um, uh, Daniel Bryan slash Bryan Danielson um, he's one of my favourite wrestlers of all time Trav's one of my favourite current wrestlers um, and he's progress champion so that's what I'd choose do not go to the internet thinking this is going to happen because it's never going to happen. But that's what I choose. Absolutely. Um, it, also, I'm aware that Five Star offering a million dollars to CM Punk has somewhat tainted anyone offering to use him on an indie show. Thanks, Mark. Peter Barnes, aged 25 and three quarters from Nottingham. I love it when people do that. He says, hi, Jim. Really love the work you, John and Glenn, put into the company. I can't wait until I get to see you guys live in Sheffield. Make sure you high-five me. 
If you could have refereed in any wrestling match from all time, which would it be and why? I'm half expecting Katsuyori Shibata versus Tomohiro Ishii, but I'm willing to be surprised. I wouldn't want to referee that. Imagine if I got in the way. They'd kill me. I don't have to try and break those two up. Um, it would be the Montreal Screwjob. Because I'd want to know the in and outs of what happened. And I, I'd really like the idea of being made incredibly famous by being a referee that one time. Arguably the most famous referee interaction of all time. Um, so it's probably that. The other one I'd choose would be the Andre the Giant, Hulk Hogan, um, Hebner Twins thing. But I don't have a twin, so that one doesn't work. Good question though, Peter. James Bragg. Thanks for all the lovely work you and John and Glenn have been doing over the years at Progress. You guys have rekindled my love for the graps. So for that, thanks. Not a problem. Thank you, James. Can't do it without you. Because I love the TNJ episode around uplifting moments. Hearing your troubles around mental health and talking so openly about it was refreshing to hear. It helps us all break down the stigma attached to mental health. Hope to hear more episodes about this in the future. I'm super honest about it. Like, there's days I don't, I don't want to carry on doing wrestling stuff or comedy. I want to go and get a normal job because this is... This, a lot of what I do takes a big strain on what I do. Uh, a lot of what I do takes a big strain on my brain because I've suffered from depression for years and I'm, I'm certainly not the most sane person in the world. And I throw my, every part of myself into everything that I do and it's exhausting. And I don't really sleep. And sometimes it's hard. And some days I have a bad day. You can tell when I have a bad day, I don't tend to tweet anything. That's my big tell for me. But I know how I feel and I know that people like my dad and my wife and um, my daughter have all been through times when they've had mental health problems. Um, and I know that nearly all of my friends have. So I may as well be here for people. I may as well be open and talk about mine. Because let's be honest, it doesn't harm, hurt anyone to talk about it, does it? Not hurting anyone. So I'm very upfront about stuff like that. It means a lot to me that you said that. Thank you very much, James. Your question is, do you think we will ever see a secondary belt or a tag belt within the women's division at WWE anytime soon. Also, would you ever consider this in progress? At the minute, our women's division isn't big enough for us to have a, a secondary title in progress, I wouldn't say. In WWE, as long as there's a brand split, I don't think they need one. If the brands were put back together, absolutely they should have a women's tag title. 100%. It'd be great. They, they did have one back in the day because the Jumping Bomb Angels and the Glamour Girls both held it. Um, but yeah... I don't think it's a bad idea at all. If Again, it's subject to how big a pool of talent you're working with. If you've got 10 people and you need to give, you need to give some people something to do, then it makes, it makes sense. You know, um, but certainly for the minute in progress, we don't need a secondary women's title. Um, but, you know, never say never. I did just say it twice. Lucy Emmingham. Have you considered Northern Season Tickets for Progress? Cover this earlier. Sadly, no. Um, bonus question. Uh, Jean, Louise, or Tina as your favourite Belcher kid. Uh, if you don't watch Bob's Burgers, go and watch it. It's wonderfully written. It's one of my favourite, uh, not just animations, one of my favourite TV programmes. It's so joyous. Um, I would say it, it's probably Tina, purely for the darkness within her. It's just, it's rem despite her being a girl, it reminds me so much of me as a teenager. It's very, very funny indeed. They're all brilliant though. Like, Louise is psychotic and Jean's just daft. So, but Tina, I think, is probably my favourite. Mark Preston. Um, which match from ICW's Hydro show do you think will be a match of the night? Um, I said this to him because I bumped into him the other day. Kenny Williams against Rey Mysterio Jr. will be brilliant. Um, the whole show will be great. 
Um, but that's the one I'm the most excited to see. I don't think I'm going to be able to get up there myself, uh, sadly, uh, but I will be watching it on demand uh, when I can. Um, but I think that's going to be it. I think Kenny Williams is a great, great talent. And him getting to wrestle someone like Rey Mysterio Jr. in the Hydro is such a cool thing for him and such a cool thing for Scottish wrestlers. So I think, I think that'll be an absolutely belting match. Matt Rowell. You might have already answered this, but I missed it if you have. Bit random. I've always been curious how ring sizes compare between Progress and WWE. Obviously not looking for exact measurements. Now, mate, I can give you them. But the WWE ring always looks bigger to me. So I wondered if there's any real difference. If not, there is a difference. Our ring is 16 feet by 16 feet. A WWE ring is 20 feet by 20 feet. So it's pretty much an extra step when you run across, if you're running the ropes from one side to the other. Um... Some rings, uh, ideally, we'd like to have an 18 by 18 ring, but there's not a load of them around in the country, which makes it a bit difficult. Some rings that you'll see on indie shows, um, some of the ICW touring shows, and I think the Lucha Forever shows, are in a 14 by 14 ring, which is even smaller. Um, But yeah, the first thing that came up when we put our Cruiserweight Classic qualifier matches up on YouTube was American uh, WWE fans going, why is the ring so small? Why is it such a small ring? Why is the ring so small? And having stood in a WWE ring as I did at Access, um, they are massive. And the ropes are different as well. The ropes are made out of cable instead of actual ropes. And, it, you know, there's a lot of very big differences between those rings and the rings that we use on the Indies. Right. Hmm. Tom Beard. Hi, Jim. First of all, I just want to thank you and everyone involved with Progress for getting me through some of the bleakest, darkest days of my life. Sorry to hear that, mate. Uh, it says it means the world to me. I'm happy to help you out, my friend. My question is this. A lot of promotions seem to try and cash in on their talent with paid meet and greets, which I know a lot of fans don't agree with, as it can cost a fair bit to have all of 30 seconds meeting the talent be before being ushered away. Whereas progress literally feels like we're all friends. It's kind of what we want to do. And the talent have a ton of time for us fans, which is brilliant. Just wondering where you stand on the whole paid meet and greets thing. I don't agree with them. We've done them once. We did one with Samoa Joe, which was the only way we could... Um, at the time afford to use Joe because Joe was rightly very expensive um, because he was he was and still is a huge star um, and, and still I see him every now and again and he still speaks very fondly of, of wrestling for us which is a really super cool thing and he was lovely when he did that meet and greet but it was a weird thing for us to do and it didn't really feel in line with what we do um, so if you come to a show and you go up to a wrestler and you want your photo taken with him and that wrestler says I'll be five pounds I'm not going to tell a wrestler to do that or not do that. It's up to the individual wrestler what they choose to do. I don't think we'll ever do meet and greets on our shows because it. I mean, again, we may, but it's not. It just doesn't. It just doesn't fit what our shows are really about. And everyone knows that you can go to the merch stand, buy a T-shirt, have your photo taken with someone, have a conversation with them, and it's all cool. I'd rather you guys did that, and I'd rather that the money that you want to spend goes straight to a wrestler because you've already bought a ticket and probably bought a progress T-shirt. So I'd rather your money that you spend go straight to a wrestler rather than going to words and then it's divvying it up between us and the wrestlers. It's just not for me. It does work for some companies and it, for some companies is a big part of how they can remain profitable. But it's just not something I'm ever going to be into. Thanks, Tom. Bobby Brewster. What is your favorite wrestling t-shirt you have ever brought or seen? I have two CCK t-shirts that I wear a lot um, that I didn't buy them. Chris Brooks gave them to me, which is very nice of him. Um, 
I saw the other day, I saw someone wearing a Reebok slash WWE branded t-shirt that had a picture of LWO era Eddie Guerrero on the front of it. I want that t-shirt. If anyone can find it me on the internet, I've looked, I can't find it. If anyone can find it me on the internet, then get it for me. No, don't get it for me. If anyone can find it on the internet, tweet me the link. I'll buy it myself. Um, Jim Small, at Jim Smallman, hashtag Tuesday Night Jewel. Um, the other ones, and I, again, I didn't buy these. Um, when I was out in Orlando for WrestleMania, um, there's a shopping mall called the Florida Mall in the middle of Orlando. Went there. There's a footlocker there that's really good. They have a Puma Lab shop stuck on the side of it. In the Puma Lab, there were various wrestling-themed T-shirts where it was like a mashup between Puma and WWE. So it was a Ric Flair one. There was a Stone Cold Steve Austin one, Ultimate Warrior one. They were badass, and I wish I'd bought one, and I didn't. Um, the other one would be the because I've got it, I've got the image from it tattooed on my arm. Would be the classic Wanted Dead Cactus Jack T-shirt, which I think is one of the greatest T-shirt designs of all time. Jamie Bell. Jamie Bell, who works at Dell. I don't know if that's true. Um, he's just got a really good signature um, on his email. Um, hey, Jim. Uh, 2017 has been an absolutely bonkers year for British wrestling. Yeah. Progress seems to be right in the heart of that, with loads of the book talent featuring on major worldwide promotions. I was at Metallica at the O2 the other week, and they played for whom the bell tolls. I couldn't help but imagine you circling ringside one day, inside the same venue, ready to introduce a progress show. Week on, <laughs> week on week and month on month, more and more incredible things are happening. Take it Wembley Arena next year, for example. Just a little side note for this. I get one tweet a week where someone will be at something like the NFL or Metallica and For Whom the Bell Tolls will be played and people will tweet me going, your music's just come on. The reason I have For Whom the Bell Tolls as, as my, in inverted commas, theme music is when I was a kid, was, uh, sorry, when I was a kid, when my daughter was a kid, when she was little, she's 14 now, when she was four or five, that was her favourite song that she listened to when we spent time together. And if you know anything about my daughter, she's never lived with me. So, like, it, it meant a lot to me that she's always liked that song. So... It's one of the reasons I have it as my theme music. I went to Fight Club Pro um, a couple of months ago and Sammy Callahan, who's a friend of mine, um, comes out to his music, which is For Whom the Bell Tolls. I was stood with Glenn and Jimmy Havoc and uh, Martin Zaki, who runs Fight Club Pro. And they played For Whom the Bell Tolls and about 25 people turned around and looked at me as if to go, are you wrestling in this match? Don't be daft, I'm not a wrestler. Um, so Jamie's question is this specifically concerning professional wrestling what would be the pinnacle for Jim Smallman that's me refer to myself in the third person then feel a bit weird um, the pinnacle for me Jamie would be is if I could do this full time however that transpires uh, whether it's just progress whether it's progress and other stuff I don't know if there's any way I could work in wrestling full time and not have to do the, all the other stuff I have to do to pay my bills I think that would be the pinnacle for me when I started stand-up, the pinnacle I wanted in stand-up was not to be on television or not to be famous. It was just to be able to pay my bills with stand-up, which I can. I can't quite pay my bills with wrestling. I'd like to be able to. So that's the pinnacle for me. And that doesn't mean I want you guys to spend more money or, or, or you know, buy more merch at Progress shows or anything like that. It means there needs to be other opportunities for me within the world of wrestling. Um, I don't know what they are. Um, but that's what I'd love. I'd love to just be, I'd love to be around wrestling for a long time. And I'd love it to be my job. So I think that would be the pinnacle for me. I'm very close to that pinnacle at the minute. 
Right, next question is Stuart McKeown. I'm going to get up. That's me moving my chair because I finished can one of Pepsi Max. Mm. I'm going to the fridge. Do you want anything? Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. What's in the fridge? I've got one can of Pepsi Max left. I've got some sweet potato mash. Uh, I've got some, some baby yogurts, quite a lot of corn, uh, and some almond milk, and some raspberries. You any of that? All right, you enjoy it. And I'm back. So, Stuart McKeown says, what do you think the best, worst, and maybe even stupidest submission <laughs> finishes have ever been? Um, says open his can I personally think the worst is the vice grip yeah it's pretty bad the iron claws pretty rotten as well um, work back in the day doesn't work now and the best and probably most underrated is the dragon clutch that Loki used to do that's a great move I saw a gift with that in the other day I can't even remember why I saw a gift with that in um, would love to know your thoughts um, yeah the iron claws pretty bad the mandible claw, I know they explained it in commentary, but the mandible claw is pretty rubbish because you could just bite someone's fingers. That's what I'd do. Um, good ones. I like the straight jacket. Uh, so Jinzation Zaki slash Hakushi does a straight jacket camel clutch uh, where he crosses the person's arms over and then pulls their back up. That's one of my favourites. If I was a wrestler, arguably would be my submission finisher. Um, so I think that's quite a good one. Go and try and find a gif of that because it's pretty sweet. Chris Rhodes, Badger Chris. Favourite graphic novel? Really recommend the recent Andre the Giant one. That was going to be my answer by Box Brown. The Andre the Giant one is absolutely amazing. So good. Um, I also like um, I like um, The Watchmen. Like, Watchmen's really... Um, Watchmen's really, really... I've been reading it for years and I'll probably reread it once a year. Um, I also love the film, which I'm aware many people who are fans of the graphic novel do not enjoy the film. Um, I would also say uh, there's a Superman graphic novel that I read on a plane ride once, um, which, and again, I'm not researching this as I'm talking to you, but it was 
uh, it was all about if if communism had been more successful in the 1950s so it's like almost like a red version of uh, of superman i thought that was brilliant i had the graphic novel and i lost it during the house move um, but i really enjoyed that as well cheers chris Martin Harmon says, what is your dream venue to hold a progress show in? As ambitious as you like. Wembley Arena. That's as ambitious as they get. Maybe the Royal Albert Hall, but I know they don't want us because we've asked. If you and Mark Dallas were to do an ICW versus progress show, um, what would be the matches you'd most like to book? Well, it's a bit difficult because quite a lot of our rosters work for each other. So, and me and Mark get on well enough to know that we'd never do a versus show. We might do a show... You never know. One day in the future, we might do a show where it's just, you know, here's ICW and Progress doing a show together. But it'd never be a versus thing because I just don't... They've got their own storylines. We've got ours. And it involves quite a lot of... In, it's a question I, I get asked a lot. Um, and again, because we've got so much of a shared roster, it's like, who do we who do we use? Um, I'd like to see Kenny Williams versus Jack Sexsmith, though, just putting that out there. Or Kenny Williams versus Flash Morgan Webster, which I think ICW did recently. James Bonzer says, Hi Jim, I'm new to snapbacks. Oh, welcome to Hat Advice Line. Got my first one in New York and I love it. Do you have any tips on where to look for new ones? How best to match them to the rest of your outfit, etc.? Um, I don't ever... T- I, see, I was about to say I don't tend to match mine to my outfit, which is an outright lie because at the minute I've, my trainers of choice are black and red, Air Jordan 1 fly knits. Um, um, my hat of choice is a black and red... <laughs> Portland Trailblazers, Mitchell and their snapback. snapback. So, but I didn't, I didn't buy that snapback. I got given it um, by some uh, wonderful Progress Ultras over in Portland, in Oregon, um, because I happen to support the Portland Trailblazers. So with that snapback, I'm wearing it because I actually support the team. Um, snapback advice. Not all snapbacks are a decent shape. Um, so I would always advise trying them on. I very rarely wear starter or new era ones because they're not as good a shape as Mitchell and Ness ones or Vans ones are for me um, because I've got a weird shape, Ed. So always try them on. Um, and I would also say if you're in America, it's really easy to buy cool snapbacks in America. Go to a shop called Lids, um, which is not a scout shop called Lads. Go to a shop called Lids, which just sells hats. Go in there, try a load of hats on. They normally do buy one, get one half price as well. Um, and that's normally where I buy my from. Uh, last time I went in one was in Boston where I bought a couple. Um, also, Vans sent me a load of free ones. So that's one of the other reasons I have loads for ages. Um, but yeah, try, always try them on. Um, and don't worry too much about matching them. What I would say is don't ever go with anything too bright. And never buy a white one because they get dirty really quick. There you go. Hat help with Jim Smallman. Danny Hayes. Hello, mate. Hope you're well. Fantasy booking question. Apologies if this has been asked. You're booking the NWO angle. Hogan has shot down going heel. Who's your third man? Can be anyone in the business in 1996. He's suggested Ahmed Johnson. I'm not going to have Ahmed Johnson. Well, first off, whoever it is has got to be as big a star as Hulk Hogan was at that time. Ideally, as well, in 1996, they've got to be a baby face for the turn to work as well as it did. So Bret Hart, he, he left a year later anyway. He was about to leave in about 1996 anyway, I think, before he signed that contract. It might have been 95 he signed that contract, but either way, he was about to leave anyway. Bret Hart, the place would have gone insane. And I believe Bret Hart got on really well with Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. Um, they had a few disagreements, but I think, you know, 
Shawn Michaels, he had the fallout with more than those two guys. So, yeah, Bret Hart. Imagine it. It'd be great. It would still have been a great angle. Would it have been as successful as it with Hogan? Hmm, don't know. Chaderfield. A question about size in wrestling. I don't know what my question is or where I'm going with it, but here we go. It's a long one. Strapping, guys. At the minute, Pete Dunne is my favourite wrestler, and I can appreciate AJ Styles and Okada are probably the best in the world. However, I always have a problem when wrestlers of this size win the top titles. I don't know if it's my WWE mindset. Uh, WWE is 99% of my wrestling viewing. Nothing wrong with that. Or a realism thing. But I want to be able to look at two wrestlers at the start of a match and not think, well, it's obvious if this was a real fight, X would be winning this. That's not to say the biggest guy is always going to win. You can have a technical wrestler take down and dissect a big slow lump, etc. Which I think is how WWE was built, certainly when we had the, the, the land of the giants. It's also not to say that the smaller wrestlers should not be stealing the show or main event in, but I just want to see the company's champ as someone you look at and think, wow, from the get-go. A great example is Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar's an anomaly that I don't think you could ever bring into this argument, by the way, Jake, because... Brock Lesnar is an absolute freak of nature and there's very few human beings in the world that look like Brock Lesnar. <clears throat> I always look at people in the title picture and think, if in the prime, The Rock, Austin, Hogan, Triple H, Undertaker, Nash, Kane, Big Show were to go against these, it'd be easy to see who'll win. Maybe that's more about booking than just visible looks, but that's another discussion, 50-50 booking, Cena and Reigns, but I digress. Basically, I want your thoughts on this. Maybe if you could design a wrestler, looks, size, fighting style, charisma, how would he or she look? Now, to go with your issue with size, who is the most well-known and well-respected mixed martial artist in the world? It's Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor is, what, five foot five? Maybe? I'm going to look that up. Because Conor McGregor is a flyweight. He's tiny. Um, let's look it up. Here we go. Conor McGregor is five foot nine, I'm surprised. Shorter than me, but he's still not a big dude. So he's five foot nine, probably about the same size as most indie wrestlers. If you were to put Conor McGregor in with a heavyweight in mixed martial arts, I know there's weight classes for a reason. Um, I would absolutely 100% back Conor McGregor. 100%. Um, it's the same in wrestling, in boxing. So arguably the most, the, the most feared boxer of a generation was Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson was not a big dude. Mike Tyson was powerfully built. I'm again looking up how tall Mike Tyson was. So Mike Tyson, five foot ten. So Mike Tyson's my height. Mike Tyson was, you know, boxing guys who were much bigger than him. Um, and you know, he, he was believable. He was always shorter than them, but he was believable. He was going to kill them. And I think that's a, a big part of it. A lot of it's down to attitude rather than size. I look at someone like Pete Dunne and. Pete's level of viciousness and the character that he's worked hard on developing and how hard he works in the ring, I would back him over most people. The whole point of having size difference in wrestling is to be able to tell the story. So you can have a example in Manchester. We had a good David and Goliath match between Keith Lee and Flash Morgan Webster. And the way wrestling booking works is if Keith Lee wins that match, then everyone goes, well, of course Keith Lee wins that match. He's a big dude. But Flash put up a brave fight. If Flash Morgan Webster wins that match, you go, wow, that's a shock. Because even though it's not a legit sport, you've still got to have the scope for shock, even though it's a work. So I think size is important if it's used in the right way. If it was going to design my own wrestler in terms of look, 
size, fighting style, and charisma, etc. I don't think there's any such thing as an ideal wrestler. I think if I was to design for wrestling to work, you can't design an ideal wrestler. You need to design an ideal roster of wrestlers that would represent every possible size, shape, etc. in order for you to be able to put the shows together. Because if you have one person who is the absolute pinnacle, then where's the challenge in that person being taken on? There is no challenge. So, you know, it's the legitimacy that I think of, of trying to portray it as a legitimate sport that you've got to think about in this situation. Um, and whilst I get your point of, oh, I only really believe if someone's massive that they're going to win, that's not necessarily the case. Now, Peter Crouch is not the greatest footballer in the history of time. So, you know, it, it, I totally see where you're coming from. Um, but I, I think there's a counter-argument to that, and that is if someone's really, really good and portrayed the right way, then size shouldn't matter. I think that makes sense. Good question, though, Jay. Sean Rodwell says, Dear Jim, if you have slash had a sister, I have got a sister. Um, she is three years younger than me and lives in Leicestershire. Um, which wrestler on the Progress roster would you happily slash least begrudgingly allow to date her? And if you like, on the flip side, who would be the biggest no? Um, I would never... Uh, so here's the thing. Um, my sister would be perfectly allowed to date anyone on the Progress wrestler as long as they were single um, because she's not a home wrecker. Now... Um, I think what I should be doing more is warning the progress roster about my sister rather than that way around. Uh, <laughs> I'm only messing. I love my sister, but she is one of the most frightening human beings I've ever met, and I'm scared of her. So, um, but yeah, she's um, she's only ever been to one progress show. She came to Brixton Academy, um, very much like my rest of my family, my daughter, my dad, my sister. Um, they don't understand why I like wrestling or get it. Um, but she did enjoy the uh, pretty men in their underwear, I think was how she put it. So um, she she enjoyed watching it. Probably never going to come to another show, probably until Wembley. But, you know, um, but no, she'd be, first of all, not going to stop my sister from dating anyone. She's her own woman. But um, but yeah, there's no one in the locker room that I think is a, a horrible human being. Everyone's great. Everyone's great. But most of them are attached. So, you know, she'd be told to keep her hands off. Chris Henderson says, we question your favorite wrestler, past or present from each of the home nations. That's a good one, isn't it? Um, so past or present from each of the home nations. Let's see. Um, England would be right. I'm going right, to, I'm going to bend this a little bit. He lives in Wales and he's lived in Wales for most of his adult life. So Johnny Saints, my Welsh pick. Um, I know he's not strictly speaking Welsh, but he lives here. I interviewed him for Tuesday Night Jaw in Wales. So, Johnny Saint from Wales. Um, from uh, Northern Ireland, Fit Finlay. From uh, England, I, yeah, probably William Regal, I would say. I mean, there's loads of people that will be on the list, but, but Regal's one of my favourites, and he's my friend. Um, from Scotland... It's a toss-up between Naam Dar or Drew McIntyre because I really, really like both of them and consider both of them to be friends. Um, England, Scotland, Northern I've done them. There we go. There's my answers. Thanks, Chris. Gareth Hodgson. Thanks for the great show on Sunday. Here's a few questions. Hopefully one will be worthwhile and not been asked before. Um, I'm going to do these as a quick fire round, Gareth. What's your favourite title belt ever, visually? Biased. The current progress title is the most beautiful title I've ever seen. And the first time I ever saw it, I wept. 
Who do you think will be the, the breakout star of the in the WWE in 2018? Pete Dunne. Um, what was the first wrestling t-shirt? That, if it's not Pete Dunne, it's Alistair Black. It's one of the two. Um, what was the first wrestling t-shirt you owned? It was a uh, Ultimate Warrior one that I bought from WWF magazine in about 1990. Which wrestler were you a big fan of in the late 80s, early 90s that people would be most surprised about? I absolutely love the Big Boss Man. And there's a few gifts floating around with Big Boss Man's stuff in all Japan, which is wonderful. Love the Big Boss Man. Absolutely loved him. Less so in his, his run in 1998 when he was no longer a prison guard. But Big Boss Man, brilliant. Loved him. Which wrestler who is hugely popular do you just not get? Um, I don't know, really. I didn't get The Undertaker for a long time. A long time. And then absolutely adored his work in the last sort of five, six years of his career. But certainly in the peak of his career, people going nuts for him, it, I, I just didn't... It seemed too cartoony for me, and that wasn't for me. Um, whose ring gear is your favourite of all time? Um, oh, I remember the Rockers with their tassels. I mean, that was pretty rad wasn't it it was pretty rad so I'm going to go with that I'm going to go with a nostalgia kick uh, favourite WCW jobber was when Jimmy Del Rey had a run of being having decent sort of 5-10 minute long matches but always getting beat um, I forget what his name was okay, I'm going to look this up this is the joy of having Wikipedia open at the same time Jimmy Del Rey he might have still been under the name Jimmy Del Rey at that time um, here we go Jimmy Del Rey Spelt it wrong. Um, Jimmy Graffiti. That was his name. Loved it when he was Jimmy Graffiti. He was brilliant. Um, so yeah, Jimmy Del Rey. Um, that'll be my choice. Uh, there we go, Gareth. They're them in the quick fire round. Thanks for your questions. Tom Much. Um, I can't drink at the Progress Show in Sheffield because I'm on a clinical placement. So I was wondering what soft drink you would happily drink 10 pints of. And while we're at it, what's the best crisp? Um, the best crisp are plain McCoys, plain flavoured McCoys. Very rare. Whenever people find them, they do tend to give them to me at shows, which I'm very grateful for. Um, there's also McCoy crisps at the minute. They come in a bag that's too big. I can't be trusted with them because um, the bag's too big. I'll eat the whole bag. But that look like crinkle cut chips. The plain ones of those are rad. Um, I, as a man who's on his second can of Pepsi Max, I would happily drink 10 pints of Pepsi Max or Soda Folk Cream Soda. Um, they're two soft drinks I could happily drink 10 pints of um, probably go with the soda no, the soda folks more calories but less caffeine um, so it depends on how much I want to be wired for the rest of my life Sam Taylor with it being roughly three years since the WWE Network being released oh really um, I feel like they're not doing enough to maintain subscribers instead of relying on monthly specials pay-per-views um, from my point of view it's one of those things I'll always keep my network subscription because I'd rather have my network subscription than Netflix, which I have cancelled. Because some days I just want to watch a, a show from World Class in 1986. And I can because it's there. When the network was launched, they had a bunch of awesome original content. Monday Night Wars, The Countdown and Stoke Cold Podcast. Now it seems to rely on the in-ring products and low-budget original content. Drive along and once a quarter do it every 24 episodes. If you were tasked with maintaining subscriber figures... What would you change or introduce to make the network still interesting to long-term subscribers? There's only one tweak I'd make to the network that I've bought up before. Um, and that is 
I'd want to be able to make playlists like I can on Apple Music or on Spotify where I can put together dream cards on this podcast and then you guys can all go uh, put in my username, find it, watch that. I'd love that feature. That'd be great. Um, his suggestion is uh, a show entitled Kevin Owens Zoo Enthusiast. Um, it'd be good. Get him and Dave Green together to come up with a show involving zoo animals. Aaron Murray from Dublin. Mm. Long-time listener of the show. Appreciate it, mate. We're going two years next year. Um, in the WWE HD era, where the same stage slash set is used for all and pay-per-view, all the pay-per-views with the exception of WrestleMania, we as fans often find ourselves wanting a bit more creativity from WWE with their stage design, like in days of WWE past. I'm fine with the same set being used for minor pay-per-views, but the remainder of the Big Four should feel like the Big Four, not just the same odd look with the same updated graphics slapped on. So with that in mind, what's your opinion on the current WWE standard HD stage slash set? And what's been your favourite WWE pay-per-view stage of all time? Um, I really enjoyed the, the WrestleMania staging this year in Orlando with the roller coaster and stuff and the really, really long runway. I thought that was, again, biased because I was there and so much better for me than the last WrestleMania I went to in 2012 that had the palm trees in Miami and I couldn't see shit. Um, my opinion on it is, I think I probably look at it from a producer's point of view. Um, we don't know as consumers, we don't know how expensive it is to come up with a custom set each time. Um, and would you rather WWE spent money on hiring the best wrestlers in the world or on a different pay-per-view setup each time? I suppose might be the question. And again, we don't know how much these things cost. Um, so from that point of view, it does, I don't ever look at it and it really bothers me. It, I miss little things like, I miss what Madison Square Garden used to look like with the, the entranceway um, facing the camera. And, you know, but the network's there for me to use nostalgia and go back and watch those things, I suppose. Um, he did give his favourite. Mine would have to be the invasion stage. It looked great. Split the feuding rosters wonderfully, especially on the inaugural brawl, and played, played a part in the show itself. See Jeff Hardy versus Rob Van Dam, and the many times wrestlers nearly walked into the pit. Uh, many thanks for reading. No, no, thank you, Aaron. That's a good question. Um, and I'd be interested to hear other people's points of view on their favourite WWE pay-per-view stage slash set. So, uh, at Jim Smallman on Twitter, hashtag Tuesday Night Jewel. Gavin Wilmot says, uh, Hi Jim, Gavin, you gave me a shout out that I like to chill out here and shoot dinosaurs. Thanks a bunch. I really appreciate that. Not a problem. I don't know if this has been asked before, but if you could arrange a marriage between any two wrestlers, progress or other, who would they be? And what would their wedding theme be? Oh my God. Um, first off, I'd want them to actually want to get married. I mean, that's quite important. Um, I don't know. I feel the wedding that would get over the best in the ballroom, for example, would be Jack Sexsmith wedding anyone his pansexual self chooses to wed. Um, that would be... Yeah, let's marry. Let's marry the team of Sexy Star. Let's marriage. Let's marry Jack Sexsmith and David Star together. Um, I, I don't care if the marriage is real or a work, but the idea of having that in the ballroom and people reacting to it in the way they react, and the way both of those guys are reacting to it, the way they react, would be the coolest thing in the world. Um, uh, so yeah, I think it'd be the only thing that would be um, inherently more amusing than the last waistband challenge we did at Super Strong Star. Stephen L. Uh, he says, hello, Progress. It's not Progress, it's just Jim. Um, 
if you can make one major or minor change to anything in the last five years, what would it be? I would never have done commentary ever and got Glenn on it earlier. I hated doing commentary. Um, I was bad at it. I didn't enjoy it. I mean, I know a lot of you are going, you do commentary. I, there was a bloke called Jimmy Barnett who sounded a lot like me. I hated doing it and I wish I'd never done it. And it makes me sad when I go back on to demand progress and hear my own voice. I hate it. So that would be the one thing personally I never would have done in progress is have me as commentator. Paul Murphy. So, hope all is good with everyone at Progress. Just wanted to start saying I'm a big fan of Progress on Tuesday night. Jaw, the three Progress events, events I've been to live have been the most fun I've had going to any show. And Tuesday night, Jaw always improves my morning commute. My question is this. If you could go back in time and be in the crowd for one wrestling event from history, which would it be and why? I would love to have either been in the audience for King of the Ring 1998 when um, I was three, either King of the Ring 98, uh, when Mick came off the cage, because it's such a, a, an important, pivotal part in my career as a wrestling fan and a wrestling promoter. Or I would have liked to have been at AAA when Worlds Collide for the, um, uh, I think it's uh, Octagon Junior, El Hijo del Santo versus Los Gringos Locos. So Eddie Guerrero and Art Bar hair versus mask match. Um, that is one of the most insane things in the history of wrestling. The heat levels off the scale. So I would have loved to have been at that. Um, uh, or I would have loved to have been um, in Madison Square Garden the first time Dynamite Kid wrestled Tiger Mask. Um, just to see people reacting to something, a style of wrestling they never would have seen before. So any of those... Um, or maybe even Wrestle Kingdom this year, this past year. That was pretty good. Daniel Richardson says, <laughs> Hi, Gadge. How much Chuck Taylor could would Keith Lee Chuck if Keith Lee would Chuck Chuck Taylor? Also, would it make a difference if Chuck Mambo was substituted for Chuck Taylor? I like it either way. Um, Chuck Taylor's a good dude, um, as is Chuck Mambo. Um, Keith Lee can throw any man um, the length of a football pitch. Uh, very much like Peter Schmeichel used to be able to overarm, do a goalkeeper throw the length of a football pitch. Um, I'm led to believe Keith Lee can do that. But throw in human beings like a lawn dart. Uh, Wayne Tompkins. Hi there, Jim. Just a quick question. If by some miracle you had some spare time, not happening anytime soon, mate. Is there any other UK wrestling promotions you would like to watch live? Um, I've never been to a Rev Pro show, which I'd like to do. I'd like to go and see a Riptide in Brighton because they're cool people. Um, I would like to see a Lucha Forever show at the Frog and Bucket in Manchester purely because it's a club I do stand-up in all the time and I know all the staff there. So it's weird that my other world has come into there and there's wrestling shows there now. So that's odd. So I'd probably like to go and see one of those. Um, I'd like to go to one of the big ICW shows. I've been to see ICW before, but I'd love to go to one of the big shows in particular. Susie, Susie Jackson, um, uh, says, do you think the wider wrestling industry, by that I mean not just Brit Wrestle, the indies, is doing enough to tackle issues like sexism, racism and homophobia that have blighted it and its fandom for so long? I think, I know that, uh, Susie, you know this, I know we try and do it at Progress, and that's the, what don't be a dick means is essentially don't be sexist, racist or a homophobe or any other thing that would constitute you being a dick. Getting a bit drunk does not make you a dick. Getting a bit drunk and being sexist or racist or homophobic makes you a dick. Um, I think it's it's really cool that 
the the smaller side of the industry is dealing with all that sort of stuff. I think um, in certain countries like Japan, misogyny is so entrenched in their society that it's very difficult to make um, to make positive inroads into the industry there. Um, I do think that the mainstream companies like WWE now wouldn't do angles that they did 10 years ago um, because I think they've they've certainly re-examined um, what society is like and they've thrown a lot of uh, weight behind anti-bullying campaigns and stuff like that, which is the things that they wouldn't necessarily have done a, a, a fair while ago. If you look at the difference between how women were presented during the Attitude Era to how women are presented now, they're certainly doing stuff, even if they're not as explicit as we are at having a particular rule about it. Um, I'm, I'm fairly certain if you pull out a sign that's really racist or really sexist or really homophobic at a WWE TV taping, not only is that sign going to be taken off you, but the security is going to throw you out as well, I would imagine. So, um, you know, maybe they could be a bit more upfront about it. But as far as, you know, I think society in, in as a whole is trying to get better at all these things and I don't think you can be a big company like WWE or, or like Ring of Honor or like uh, TNA if that's what they're called this week I don't think you can be a big company without thinking about these things and thinking about trying to not offend people because why would you ever want to offend your fans I don't I don't understand it so I think they're probably doing more than we think but because we're so explicit about having a rule about it and other companies are too that it's probably one of those things that not everyone notices them doing. And I'm sure they are doing things behind the scenes. Good question though, Susie. Adam Lyons, who likes lions. I don't know. I don't know if that's true, mate. Um, hi, Jim. First of all, thanks for all your hard work putting together uh, Tuesday Night Joe each week. Your busy schedule. Try my best. Um, uh, we have met before at Fight Club Pro Training School and had to talk about photography and failed. Yeah, I did a promo class with them. Uh, but I enjoyed it also. Myself and my girlfriend are coming to our first progress show in January and can't wait. Hooray! So my questions. One, which current progress star are you most proud of what they've accomplished in 2017? Probably the best year in UK indie wrestling. I, I must stress, I'm, I'm proud of everyone who works for progress. Uh, I am... I'm proud of everyone who works for progress. I think everyone's great. I think everyone's had a great year. Um, equally, I don't take responsibility for any of this. Everyone who's done great this year, it's been down to them, nothing to do with me. Um, I think on a global scale, Pete Dunne has had a, the, the, one of the best years any wrestler in the world's had, let alone anyone in, in WWE. So Pete can rightly pat himself on the back and I know I'm very proud of him. I think he's he's a friend, so I'm super proud of him. I think, so if you take that as a sort of Overall award, I think that's what where I'd go. If I could look at someone and look at their improvement from the beginning of this year to the end of this year, I'd pick Jack Sexsmith because I think the difference in him has been absolutely immeasurable. There's other people who have really improved in a progress ring this year. James Gibson didn't necessarily catch on. Not James Gibson. James Gibson is... Why did I say James Gibson? I got confused with Zach Gibson and James Drake at the same time. James Gibson is, of course, uh, Jamie Noble. Um, uh, so uh, James Drake, um, when he first came in with Progress, didn't necessarily catch on with the fans, despite being really good at everything. Didn't necessarily catch on with his fan, with the fans. Now he's in a tag team with Zach Gibson. He's really he's caught fire a bit, so again, he's really improved. But he was already really, really good. With Sexsmith, he was, he was good, but he's really knuckled down and got better and better and better. And, you know, as a lot of you may have seen, had a WWE tryout in the last couple of weeks. So... Um, 
I think Sexmith's most improved, best overall in terms of what a year he's had. Um, just pipping Tyler Bate would be would be um, Pete Dunne. Um, but again, and again, you can't look away from someone like Travis Banks, who's had stellar matches around the world this year. Um, Flash Morgan Webster has gone and done Battle of Los Angeles. There's loads of people I'm proud of, is basically what I'm saying. And the question two is, if you could borrow any wrestler from NXT for six months and use in progress, who would you have and who would you have them feud with and why? Mmm, an interesting question. I would probably... I, I would try and use Cassius Ono slash Chris Hero because he has a history with us and he is absolutely wonderful as a wrestler. So he's had some of the best matches in progress history and I know it's slot right into knowing what our ethos is. Um, and I'd have him feud with Travis Banks because it'd be sick, wouldn't it? It'd be so cool. Peter. Peter Cinnamond, good name, uh, from Belfast, says, I was looking to know what was the inspiration behind the Atlas Division Championship. It's such a unique idea, so I was wondering if the Big Lads Championship was the plan from the start, or did it come from brainstorming ideas for a unique second singles progress title? Um, my progress knowledge has a gap between chapters 20 to 39, so I apologise if this story has already been covered or is very, very obvious. It's not obvious. Um, I watch a lot of football. John also likes football. Um, me and John were going to a pre-season friendly between Fulham and Crystal Palace um, we were walking from the tube station to Craven Cottage on the way I said um, we should do because everyone was starting to do cruiserweight titles so I said we should do a title that is um, for wrestlers over that size because I like big lads wrestling specifically people like Tomohiro Ishii and uh, and um, uh, and, and so forth. So I really like Big Lads Wrestling. I really like Big Lads Wrestling specifically from Japan. So Daisuke Sakamoto and uh, Yuji Kobayashi and people like that. So I I suggested that to John. John went, that's a really good idea. And then John came up with the name, the Atlas title. And then Glenn designed the title. So between the three of us, we came up with something pretty cool. Um, also wanted to say congrats on progress and success in 2017. I know it's been a crazy busy time for the whole crew, but it's been fantastic following it all. Thank you, Peter. Can't do it without you. Uh, I brought my brother to his first indie show with yourselves in May and he's loved wrestling ever since. With him at uni in Sheffield, progress has been an incredible thing for us to do together and a great excuse to return to my old uni haunt of Manchester. Looking forward to coming back for Sheffield. Uh, thank you, Peter. Looking forward to seeing you there. Make sure you claim your high five. Tom Gibson. How weird that your name's Gibson, especially with this question. Hi, Jim. Being a bit of a conspiracy nut myself, are there any conspiracies you are a firm believer in? And any thoughts on the Flat Earth Theory? Ask Danny Garnell about Flat Earth Theory. Um, flat Earth Theory is nonsense, as is the Hollow Earth Theory. I um, am currently trying to write something for comedy reasons about conspiracy theorists and about dangerous nutters. So I have been listening to quite a lot of Alex Jones's Infowars podcast, which is... It's something. Um, I It's hard work. Um, but, you know... Just, just consider yourself lucky I don't try and sell you vitamins every 20 seconds on this podcast. Um, there's definitely conspiracies out. So the big thing for me is, like, do I think that we on this planet know anything about aliens? 
No, I don't think aliens have ever visited us or abducted us or anything like that. Do I think we know slightly more than we probably let on? And maybe there's all the life on other planets that we know a little bit about or on very distant stars? Maybe there's a possibility because we can't with the only things in this universe. It's very selfish. Um, as for things like 9-11 conspiracy theories and stuff like that, I don't really go along with them. But then again, you know, the Cuban Missile Crisis at the time people probably thought was legit. And it's only, in the past, only afterwards that we found out what really happened. So... Who knows? Um, it'd be interesting to try and dig into some of the, the JFK papers that they released recently to see if there's anything in there. But um, but no, I, I I'm interested. In, I'm more interested in people who are interested in conspiracy theories than I am the conspiracy theories themselves. If that makes sense. Lloyd Barrett. Um, ah, you asked the question about Eddie Guerrero, um, which I answered before about. Um, so you said the anniversary of the passing of Eddie Guerrero I was wondering who from the progress roster would have you most have liked to have seen go up against Eddie and also who do you think would have been the best fit for a tag partner already answered that but you said personally I think Morgan Webster would be an awesome opponent I'd love to have seen the way he'd play off Jack Sexsmith good good question and answer Lloyd excellent work uh, Gwyndaff Wheeler says I've been watching wrestling since just before TLC 2013 after being sort of Banned from watching it since before I was born. What? Um, I've always wanted to wrestle, but I'm not good with any form of exercise. And I know this will be a better question for Matt Richards. But how would someone get into commentating wrestling as a play-by-play com- play, play play commentator? I've done some commentating for video games, but wrestling is something I've wanted to get into. Like everything around wrestling, mate. What I'd say is this. Mm. You're probably going to have to volunteer to work for now somewhere um maybe watch uh find some footage of wrestling without any audio on do your own commentary on it send it to some promoters see if they want to give you a chance the reality of companies like progress and icw is we're kind of at the the top end of the indies so it means that whoever we use tends to be pretty established and we're less likely to take a punt on someone brand new um but there's plenty of small companies that you can offer your services for Offer your services for free for a bit, but don't work for free forever. Right? If you want to do something, yeah, get some work experience, build your CV up, but remember your own value. That's very important. Um, that's probably the best way of getting into it. Um, you know, it's it's not an easy thing to do, but take it seriously. Throw yourself into it. There's no reason why you can't do it. You've just got to be patient and be willing to, you know, do a fair bit of travel and a fair bit of work for not an enormous amount of reward. Very much like I had to with comedy when I started it and with wrestling promoting when I started it so if you bear that in mind you'll go far Jim Taylor of all the storylines progress has done which would you most like to do over from scratch and what would you change about it um, I'm honestly proud enough of every, I mentioned the, the faceless storyline that the three of us came up with and then the three of us tweaked bits of it and it became the origin and then it became you know, we were proud of how it ended up but from where it was originally going to go, it definitely changed. Um, we could have maybe gone with that as the origin to start with rather than uh, necessarily um, necessarily starting with the faceless and then changing it and making it like that. But that's the only one I can really think of. There's nothing that... There's nothing that I've been... Even that, that's the one that sticks in my head of one where we I know we changed tack. But there's never been anything that I've not been proud to put my name to. So by that token, I'd never... I'm very much a no regrets kind of person. There's no point going back and trying to fix something. And there's nothing I can think of that I'm I'm genuinely disappointed with. There's some storylines that are loads better than others. 
it's always going to be the way. Some are going to be more popular with some people than others, but there's nothing I'd ne- I necessarily want to change, I don't think. Dylan Osborne. Long-time Progress fan, been watching since Chapter 14. I was wondering if there are any future plans for the Progress Twitch channel outside of Chapter Preview shows. We did speak about this with Adam, our social media guy, the other day. Don't know. I'm too old to understand Twitch. I'm trying my best. It'd be fun to see any of the Progress lads who are free just piss about and play video games or just chat to fans. I've had the idea of us just playing FIFA on it. Because it's funny, isn't it? Um, you, you are right, though. It's a growing form of media and it's something we need to look into. That's why we've got Adam, who's younger than us and understands social media better than us. I'm fine with Twitter. I'm useless at everything else because I'm a nearly 40-year-old man. I don't understand YouTube. So, you know, it's cool. Good question, though. I appreciate you taking the time to read this and hope you... Uh, hope you hear this and un- hope to hit sorry hope to hear this answered on the podcast which i've loved since near the start of his existence and has even inspired me to start my own good on you dylan thanks mate steve rafferty hi jim love the podcast and love everything you john and glenn and everyone everything that progress does for this wonderful thing we call professional wrestling anyway my question is if progress were ever to close its doors god forbid what would you like or hope the company's lasting legacy to be so this is something I was thinking about the other day. If we stopped... So, a lot of people... So, I love ECW, but most people know loads about Paul, Paulie not paying people and, and bad stuff that happened towards the end of ECW's existence. I loved a lot of WCW. But everyone remembers the bad stuff that happened and, and the bad booking and stuff like that towards the end of its existence. And, yeah, ECW's got a great legacy, but it's always tainted a little bit with the stuff that went wrong. The biggest legacy I'd love is to have, if we'd never have to close our doors, I'd always prefer is to close the doors with us on top and not close the doors with a load of stuff gone badly wrong and owing money and stuff like that. I'd, I'd want it to be... I'd love it if people could go, hey, Jim, John and Glenn, they ran a wrestling company and it was really good fun. Do you remember that? It was great. That'd do me. I'm not, I, no one needs to make me a crown or put me on a throne or anything like that. I'd just be happy with, wasn't that great? I remember that fondly. It made me like wrestling. I'm happy with that. Rob Kitchen says, thanks for reading this. I'm an American fan who's recently started following the British scene, especially progress, and it saved my love of professional wrestling. Thanks, mate. This year seems like it's been a massive breakout of certain talents like Travis Banks, TK Cooper, Trent Seven, Tyler Bate, Pete Dunne, and Tony Storm. Um, of which only three are British. Uh, <laughs> they do all live here though, mate. I'll give you that. With 2018 quickly approaching, who will be the talents to watch in the UK in 2018? Um, two of them are Australian, Mark Davis and Kyle Fletcher. Um, uh, Dylan D'Angelo, Alex Cupid, never say die. Um, Millie McKenzie, fantastic uh, women's wrestler. Charlie Evans, um, also fantastic. Uh, Candy Floss, who had a great debut for us on Sunday uh, they're all great talents to watch out for um, ooh, who else were? Amari is fantastic uh, Connor Mills great um, uh, the OJMO full of charisma big T's tag team partner a dark match at the last show people who haven't quite reached progress yet but I have no doubt will uh, will in 2018 um, I mean all those guys have kind of featured in around people like Chris Ridgway is fantastic um 
but yeah, they're all names that, that I could list names for ages, but they're all names that I I certainly feel very good about. You know, someone who's not been anywhere near a progress show as yet. Um, someone like Drew Parker, who's who's kind of come out of nowhere by just just working his ass off. So you know, he's great too. So they're all names that uh, that are worth looking up. And so thanks again. I'm very very much looking forward to seeing everyone in New Orleans in April. So am I, Rob. It's going to be well good. Alex Gridley says, with the growing scene in the UK, are there any undiscovered talents that you're a fan of that you see as the future of British independent wrestling? Just kind of mention some names then, mate. Um, from local shows my way, uh, guys like Ashley Dunn, Ash Draven, Tim Lee and Mark Lloyd. I've heard of Ash um, are making massive waves and it's awesome seeing all this new talent grow. Thanks for everything you do. Thank you, Alex. Um, kind of answered it a bit before, so I'm going to move on, but good names that you suggested. Um, Mark says... Um, Hello, Jim. Quick question for you. If progress got to the point where you were no longer selling out venues and there was a visible and consistent decline in popularity, would you continue to devote as much time to it? Ignoring the financial concerns so much, if you felt like the company had peaked and people had lost interest, would that affect your personal motivation to continue working on it? I do not expect this scenario to happen, but I'm curious of your response. Hard to say without knowing, but I put as much energy into it from day one when we had no following as I do now. So I would suggest I probably would. Unless we decided we were closing the doors, then obviously I'd, I'd move on. But but no, I, I'm i not motivated by money. I'm, I'm motivated by putting a good show on, putting the best show on that we possibly can because I'm scared of failure. I'm so scared of failure. I always have been my entire life. That's what got me through my exams when I was at school. I wasn't a clever kid. I was just so scared of failing. So... I'm like that in everything that I do. The thing that makes me be funny on stage is not, I've not, no, I haven't got, not got a natural funny bone in my body, but I'm terrified of failing when I'm on stage. So I think that's, the, the, the fear of failure will mean that I would always dedicate as much time as possible to making it as good as possible. I used to dedicate tons of hours a week to fantasy e-wrestling when, when I was a student and that made me no money, it, it, it didn't put any, didn't sell any tickets because there were no tickets to sell because it was fake and it was on the internet. So, you know, I, I'm always, I'm always going to dedicate my time to it. I think, um, you know, it's either that I'll play video games, and I'm getting too old for video games. Phil, hey Jim, with the Montreal Screwjob twenty years old, do you think the Austin heel turn in two thousand and one will be written about as much? With casual fans turning away from the product and WWE quickly trying the invasion angle to draw back interest. Um, I mean, the fact that people were writing about the Montreal Screwjob five or six years after it, and people aren't writing about the Austin Heel turn now, I, I say probably not. Um, I think the Montreal Screwjob is a, a watershed moment in professional wrestling history and that no one's probably ever going to... There's various Screwjobs that I've been reading about in, in the history of wrestling, um, a few involving the uh, the inception of the NWA and then the inception of the AWA and WWF in the early 60s. There weren't screw jobs, but disagreements that made led to companies going in different directions. There was a legitimate screw job in the 1930s between um, uh, the Goldust Trio um, and their chosen champion um, getting legitimately shot on by Stanislas Zabisco. Um, which then led to him dropping the title to their rivals and creating all kinds of problems. So, you know, but I think the Montreal Screwjob is the one that we all saw and we all remember. And even people who didn't see it will go back and watch it and talk about it. Whereas, you know, there's been, what, 17 years since the Austin Heel turn in 2001 and people have written about it, but not to the same degree. 
So I'd say no. I think the Montreal screw job until something bigger happens is always going to be the big thing for us. Shane Kiley says, long time listener, second time caller. Good. If you could take any WWE or WCW wrestler um, from over the years and replace their official WWE, WCW, TNA sanctioned music and replace it with a licensed song, who would it be and what would their song be? I would replace Dean Malenko's music with Winds of Change by the Scorpions for no reason other than I really want to do it. Matt Bell works for Dell, doesn't um, says, Hi Jim, I know you don't train wrestlers in terms of their footwork, but seeing as you've been going to a lot of wrestling schools, I thought you might know the answer. William Regal, when describing wrestlers, always starts by saying whether they have good or bad footwork. Why is footwork a starting point for wrestlers training and why is it so important? Again, not a wrestling trainer might give this answer wrong. Um, but so footwork's all to do. So, so for example, when you run the ropes, um, you, you need to only take a certain amount of steps. Um, I think in a progress ring, it's, it's either three or four. In a WWE ring, it's either four or five. If you take an extra little step, you look less confident. You're not like you know what you're doing. Um, if your feet are always facing in the wrong direction, if your feet are, if you're not placed properly for a move, things, mistakes going to happen, stuff's going to look more awkward. And footwork's all to do with knowing that you're in the right place at the right time. Um, and, and basically just following, a lot of wrestling is all about very fundamental rules. A lot of, um, a lot of how you get ready for moves is all to do with your positioning for it. If your footwork's good, they'll always be in the right place. You'll always be ready for what's coming next. If your footwork's bad, you won't be. So I think that's the right answer. Um, but of course, best person to ask, William Regal. Dan Thomas, massive progress fan. Just want to say a quick thank you to all three of you for your incredible work. Thank you, mate. Um, I, I do have a question, which is a bit twofold. Due to other promotions having agreements already in place, we don't really see any New Japan wrestlers in progress. You are correct, sir. If you could pick any New Japan wrestler to wrestle in progress, who would you pick and who would be their opponent? Um, I would love to do... Um, I'd love to do Ishii versus Volta. I'd love to do Okada versus Banks. I'd love to do Ibushi versus Dunn. I'd love to do Yano versus Trent Seven. Um, I would uh, love to do Sho and Yo against CCK. There's loads, basically. Um, but good question, Dan. I love New Japan. It's just, you are right. It is contract stuff that we can't really get into. Alvaro Mateo says, Hi Jim, if you were a wrestler, who do you draw from to shape up your gimmick? And what would you use as entrance music? Entrance music will be Juggernauts by Frank Carter and the Rattlesnakes. Um, I've thought about this a lot. It's great. I'd definitely be a heel. I'd definitely blow mist at people because it's one of my favourite things in wrestling history. Um, I just love it. Love the idea of doing that. Um, I would be terrible at wrestling, so would have to be um, just particularly evil and dirty and a cheat, because I'm not a fighter. Um, I think I'd always definitely be a, be a cheat. I think I'd be a combination of heel WCW Cactus Jack, who cause I, I'm not frightened of taking a kick in, so I think I'd probably just take a kick in quite a lot and hurt myself. Um, so probably a bit a bit of that, a, uh, a bit of my good friend Jimmy Havoc. A bit of who is me if I drank. Um, a bit of... Um, oh, who else? A, a bit of kind of classic 
uh, gaijin in all Japan just wandering around the crowd, throwing a chain around or something like that. Um, a bit of Ring of Honor, Jimmy Jacobs maybe. Like, cause I'm not a big dude. I'm never going to be a bodybuilder, so I'd have to just be a bit evil. And that's from Panama, by the way. Um, uh, thanks. That's really cool. First question from Panama. Um, congratulations on qualifying for the World Cup. Um, Tristan French says, Hi Jim, hope all's well with you. My question is, if you could have any live band player rest as entrance at a progress show, hypothetically speaking, who would you pick and why? Um, I would pick... Um, I'd have Rampage Brown back for a match and I'd have Hate, Hatebreed play his song because I love Hatebreed. I'm purely just my own bias. Sam Wilson. You have the ability to insert yourself into any match in history as a special guest referee. Which match and why? I answered it earlier on, Sam, but thank you for the question. Dave Higgins. Um, uh, it says, Hi, Jim. From the outside, it seems like you've been enjoying punk-style organic growth, working with what you have, adding as you go, and steadily moving to bigger and bigger rooms for non-ballroom shows if things have taken off. Um, but at what point did running a show at Wembley Arena go from being a pipe dream to, hang on, lads, we can probably do this? Um, about a month before Ali Pali this year was when we paid the deposit for it. And it's because we could afford to pay the deposit. And... I, at the three of us, I was the most reticent to do it because I'm the biggest warrior and the biggest glass half empty kind of man in the world. So I was like, I don't know if we can do this, lads. I don't know if we can do this. And then about a week after tickets have been on sale, I'm like, oh, I feel much better about doing this now. So, um, yeah, it was about yeah, probably beginning of September that we realized we could probably do it because we had to make a call on whether we did Wembley or Ali Pali for the big show in September next year. And um, as, as they say, we ran some figures. John did. I didn't. And we went, oh, oh shit, we can do this. So not that long ago. I mean, we've been talking to them for a couple of years, but it was that point where we went, right, it's now or never, lads. Jordan, oh, it says Jordan, but then it says Pete. So I'm going to say Pete. Um, hello, Jim. Having seen a lot of indie wrestling in the past few years, I've noticed that nearly every show there is a kick out before one after a big move quite deep in the match. While it pops the crowd for me, it's a bit unrealistic and takes me out of the match. I know you're quite old school, so I was wondering your thoughts on this. I have spoken about this with a few of our wrestlers this week and have asked wrestlers to not do it anymore because you will get a bigger pop for kicking out at 2.9 than you would killing someone's finisher and kicking out at 1, I think. So it's something that I would prefer to not see on our shows. I know John and Glenn feel the same. Um, and I know most of our locker room feel the same. So it's hopefully something that's going to spread throughout our little company now uh, because it's something we've had a word about. So um, it's good to hear your point on that, uh, Pete, definitely. Last question, Joe Coleman. As we all know, what happens backstage to remain a closely guarded secret between those involved. But I have one quick question. Who is the longest in the shower? Um... <laughs> I don't know. I'm never backstage during a show when wrestlers are showering. Um, so I genuinely couldn't answer this question for it. I mean, I reckon Chris Brooks probably is. He looks like the sort of man who takes too long. He's a handsome boy and he looks like he probably takes too long in the shower. He's not the sort of person who's just running in, you know what I mean? Or just splashing a bit of tap water on himself. He's going to look after it. I mean, our entire locker room smells lovely. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, out of the three of us, me, John and Glenn, it'll be me um, because I spend ages in the shower. 
because it's where I do a lot of thinking and also because I can sleep standing up. Uh, that's not true. I wish I could. But I do. I spend ages in the shower. It's a point of massive contention between me and my wife. So, uh, And he adds, I love progress and genuinely made my life a more positive thing. Yourself, John and Glenn deserve all the credit that comes your way. It, thanks, mate. It's not down to us, though. Pro- if progress is a little part of what makes you positive, that's awesome. But don't forget, all wrestling is awesome. Wrestling's the best. The absolute best. So thank you for all your questions. We had 80. I got through them all. Some of them were multi-parts. So this has taken oh, a couple of hours. That's the longest Q&A ever, I think. So I've answered, I've answered everyone's question that got sent across. I've not deleted anything. I've not shied away from anything. Thank you for asking questions that weren't dickish. I really appreciate it. Um, and thank you for trying not to cover too much stuff that we've covered before. I think we managed to get through that pretty okay. Um, a few little plugs on the way out. Everything on the Distraction Pieces Network is great. If you like listening to podcasts, download all of that stuff because it's all awesome. That's point one. Demand-progress.com, progresswrestling.com, and the Progress Wrestling related stuff. If you want to watch our shows, you want to get tickets, you want to buy merch, that's that. Point people at jimsmallman.com slash TNJ um, if you would like to point people at this podcast or if you yourself would like to buy one of our last few remaining t-shirts. And finally, um, go to my Twitter feed, at Jim Smallman. Follow me on Twitter if you don't already. That's really cool. Um, if you want to tweet me, hashtag Tuesday Night Jaw. Um, but also at the top of my Twitter feed my pinned tweet is for my stand-up show all about professional wrestling in Leicester 5pm Sunday February the 18th 20 tickets left nearly sold out I'm not doing another one for a few months after that so come to this one come to the first ever one trust me on this when I say come to the first ever one I promise you it'll be quite good Um, Sunday February the 18th 5 o'clock at Firebug in Leicester pinned tweet at the top of my Twitter feed you will see a link to get tickets. Go get tickets. Come see me. Right. That is it. Thank you for your questions. Thank you for listening. Next week, we're back with a round table. So don't forget, tweet me at Jim's Moment your questions regarding TakeOver and Survivor Series by about half ten on Monday morning when we'll be recording it. Right. I'll see you next week. Thanks a lot, guys. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.